Have you ever wondered what the top 10 most streamed 90s songs are? Or what about the top 10 highest paid dead celebrities? Hi, I'm Nick, host of the 10-ish podcast, a comedy podcast covering top 10 lists. Every week, me and my various sidekick hosts share trivia, fun facts, and hot takes as we try to guess each other's top 10 list. Here's a little preview. And it turns out people will just shock a guy to death if someone in a lab coat asks semi-nicely. Chickens outnumber humans more than two to one. It is the only R-rated film to gross a billion dollars. With more than 200 episodes and counting, there's sure to be a top 10 list that tickles your weird little fancy just right. Laugh and learn every week with 10-ish podcast available now on all podcast apps. That's one zero I-S-H podcast. What's up, Rewatchers? It's Dustin here to let you know that this show may feature strong or inappropriate language, so please be mindful of who around you can hear it. After the show, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, or wherever you listen. The feedback helps us out a lot. And we are now on Patreon. And for $3 a month, you can get early access to episodes, as well as some exclusive features like behind-the-scenes sound bites, or maybe even some giveaways. Your support is appreciated. Also, we assume that you've at least watched the show or the episode we will be discussing. If not, just be warned that there are spoilers ahead. But really, it's your fault because these shows have been out for a while. <laughs> Enjoy. Okay, let's uh, get ready to start with this uh, whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I can't the even The magicians. Talk. The magicians. Welcome back to the Rewatch Recap. I'm your host, Dustin, and I am joined once again by the lovely Orlean, who is returning to help me recap the complete first season of Sci-Fi Channel's The Magicians. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited for this show. I know. We oh, we, we really love this show, guys. It's, it, was, it was such a crazy thing to watch. I actually didn't start watching the show until like I saw like the first season on Netflix, and then I was like, Oh, I need to read these books. And then I started reading the books and in between seasons. And then, you know, neither one of us read book three, but we will eventually. I have it. I I even have it on audiobook. Still haven't read, you know. I mean, I'm sure it's interesting. I just, I, I read the first book, didn't love it. Read the second book. I have no drive to read the third book, I guess, because the show satisfies me. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of just want to do like I think I might re like listen to the audiobook of the first one and the second one again mm-hmm. just to get re caught up on what happens in the book story. Yeah. And then read book three, but we'll see. I don't know. But before we begin, I wanted to be sure to tell the audience that we are now on Patreon. Woohoo! For just $3 a month, you can join us each week and we'll have a little behind the scenes uh, discussion uh, for each episode. And we're just going to talk about the show and life in general and what's going on and pop culture and all that kind of stuff. So be sure to look up the rewatch recap on Patreon 
or look in the show notes and that will have a link directly to it as well as the show's social media. Um, I hope to one day have some merch to actually give to people who I'm going to this year. I just haven't had, done oh, it yet, nice. but we're going to have some merch eventually for people to get when they sign up. And we'll also have opportunities to maybe eventually do some one-off episodes just to release to Patreon. Oh, fun. Maybe yeah. like either special, like special TV episodes or other TV movies and stuff like that. I think that might be fun to do. So we'll have a lot coming down the pike for that. It, it'd be fun. So, okay, like I said, I watched The Magicians when it came on Netflix. That's how I started um, watching it. But then I went to like actual sci-fi and watched it live. Did you watch it live, Orlean? No, I didn't, actually. I was the same. I remember hearing about the show, and I was vaguely curious. But then I read the first book, and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> the first book, I, it's not trash. I find it really interesting. I just didn't vibe with Quentin, the main character, and mm-hmm. in a way that made me feel attached to the story. And so I was like, uh, I'm probably not going to watch that. And then I'm going to be totally honest with our audience here. I saw somebody I think is cool on Instagram saying they loved the show. And I was like, I'm going to check it out again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so like we said before, the Magicians TV series is based on the Magicians book trilogy by Lev Grossman. What a name, Lev. What's that short for? Leviathan, maybe? Oh, that's a great guess. Levity. I, yeah. Leviticus. Uh, Levit- Ooh, that's a horrible Leviticus one. Grossman. Oh, that's terrible. That's- <laughs> yeah, he's a gay man, too, to have Leviticus as his name. Like, not, not, I hope mm-mm. not. Oh, God. But yeah, so he also produced the show. Um, he, I don't think he really had much to do with it other than that. But uh, like we said, we both read the first two books. And maybe we'll read some more of the third one, or one of us will, to give some more comparisons going forward. But, you know. Yeah. Someone motivate me to read it. Tell me why I should. Yeah. Is it good? Does it close it out well? Right. Let, let us know. You don't have to tell us what happens. Just <laughs> just give us the general, you know, the general feel of it. We would love to hear from you. But uh, I would describe the show and the books, actually, because it's kind of got a similar. I mean, there's still a similar setup and whatnot. Yeah. I, I, I've always told people when I, Hey, you need to watch the show or read the books or whatever. And I always say, let me describe it to you as emo. Harry Potter goes to Hogwarts university and finds the doorway to Narnia. <laughs> okay. Which is kind of accurate, right? I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's clearly a lot of these things were inspired by the Harry Potter and Narnia universes. They were, but I, I describe it in a totally different way, which is interesting. I describe it more as like, um, the people who never got their Hogwarts letter and then held out hope and discovered like the dark side of magic and how it can ruin your life. <laughs> Not necessarily the dark arts, just the darker side of magic. <laughs> dark side of magic. Like, and I mean, anyone. And the repercussions later on. Yeah. And I think, I think Lev Grossman said part of the inspiration was like the, the not Hogwarts story. Where yeah. like things don't work out, magic makes things worse. It makes things harder. Like it, that's, I think that's some of the inspiration. And there's still like, there's even characters that are like, oh, well, that's this type of character, and that's. But then like the things that happen to them are not nearly as like cut and dry and tied up in a bow like you would have in a, a Harry Potter book. Or no, story. these are some complex characters with serious backstories and motivations and feelings. Yeah, there's there's people that are bitches that you grow to love, and then there's people you loved at first that grow to be bitches, and <laughs> and there's some people you hate the whole time, and the you're entire right, time, and you're right. 
you're right to hate them too. Yeah. <sighs> it's a very rich tapestry of a show. It really is. It really is. So yeah, the, so the show actually this episode premiered on December sixteenth, two thousand fifteen, with the rest of the season not picking up until a month later in the following January, which I thought was Ooh, weird. Interesting. I wonder if they were just testing the reaction. I'm thinking it was a ploy to like grab like college aged viewers while they were home for the holidays. That's not bad. I think that's just my thought, but I mean, you know, people are home, especially it was like the 15th, the 16th of the December. That's about time college age kids would be home. They're probably not going to have a job. It's kind of too close to Christmas. So it's like, I'm sitting around doing nothing. Let's watch some sci-fi, you know, and that's possibly what, how it happened. But uh, yeah. So like you said before, the show stars Jason Ralph as our emo Harry Potter knockoff, Quentin Coldwater. I mean, he's so much worse than Harry Potter. Oh, he is. <laughs> totally. And then you have Stella Maeve as his best friend, Julia. Love her. Olivia Taylor Dudley as the shy and brainy Alice. Hale Applebaum, what a name, as the fantastically troubled Elliot. Mm-hmm. Arjun Gupta as the crabby Penny. Summer Bischel as the snarky Margot, My queen. whose name is actually Janet in the books. My queen, Margot. Yes. No, King. <laughs> That's true. We're not there yet. <laughs> but anyway, and she's she's Elliot's bestie, basically. And then you have Jade Taylor as the mischievous Katie, one of Julia's new friends, and Rick Worthy as the mysterious Dean Henry Fogg, who, by the way, Rick Worthy just showed up on the new Gossip Girl. Oh, nice. I mean, he is another one of those people that's kind of everywhere. When you watch yeah. things, you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's him. <laughs> yeah. And I followed him on Instagram. And he like he shares every post that anybody tags him in. Oh, like, that's great. I took a picture with Rick Worthy at this convention. And I saw Rick Worthy in the street. He's like, yeah, it was nice to meet you. He's really Aww. cool. He seems like a really nice guy. That's good. Because yeah, I, I, like, I like Dean Fogg. <laughs> yeah. I do, too. I like how... I like when you see people out and they're just good people. They're trying to do, I'm in a show and you like the show. Let's take a picture. You know, not like, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. You know, (laughs) get out, get your head out of your ass. Talk to your fans, people. Anyway. Yeah. So the TV series was created by Sarah Gamble and John McNamara. I did not bother looking to see what they've created and worked on before. But wait, I know the, the name Sarah Gamble for some reason, because I've seen that on many credit screens and I don't know why. Is she from? Well, the I can CW? look her up. I think she is. She from CW? It's possible. I mean, it is. You know, there's just I know that name because I again I've I've watched a lot of TV and I've seen a lot of credits roll. Let's see. What has she worked on? She worked on Supernatural. Ah. She worked on You. Amazing. Okay, I'm already um, in Aquarius. Uh, oh yeah, that very creepy culty short lived show. Nice. Yeah, and that's main, those are the main like big ones she's worked on. I really. saw them she's all. She's done a couple other things, but I know. saw them all. So that's where I know her name from. Okay. And John McNamara, actually, oh my God, he's been around for a while. He was he had worked as a supervising something on the Adventures of Lois and Clark. Oh wow, in the nineties. Yeah, he's been around for a bit, and uh, he also worked on Aquarius. So that's obviously where he knows okay. her from. And Eyes, which they both worked on, and The Fugitive, the Movie or the show? Which there was a this? show. You didn't know the Fugitive was a show. No. Oh, you mean the old one? You remember? You know that Harrison Ford played the Fugitive in in Tommy the movie. Jones was like the, yeah, and there, that was based on a TV series. Oh yeah, I thought you meant there had been another one. 
They did do another one actually, and it had Kiefer Sutherland. It was on that damn Quibi, Quibi, Quibi app. Oh, I never watched anything on Quibi. <laughs> That's the reason why it went off because you didn't watch. <laughs> I did it. I brought down Quibi. You broke Quibi. Damn it. Oh well. But yeah. So and then the pilot episode was directed by Mike. I want to say Cahill or Cahill. I can't C A H I L L. Is that Cahill or Cahill? Cahill. I don't know. It feels like Cahill would be the better way to say it, but mm-hmm. you know, because Cahill sounds like you're just like you're coughing. Cahill, you know. <laughs> I don't know. That's just me. But before we begin, I want to remind everyone that. The first episode of any show has a lot of information in it, storyline and characters to introduce to the audience. So, of course, the first episode of the recap that we're doing is going (laughs) to tend to be a little bit longer as we want to give as much detail as possible to get you into this world. But after this, unless it's an especially eventful episode, we won't need to be as detailed. So it won't be long episodes from here on out, hopefully. Yeah. Pilots are tough. There's a lot to establish. Yeah, you got to describe people. You got to say why they're doing this, what you think about, you know, all that stuff. So on that note, without further ado, let's get into The Magician's Season 1 with the pilot episode entitled Unauthorized Magic. Uh Uh-oh. So we open on a shot of the New York City skyline. It's a regular day in the city, a bit gloomy and grayscale, but otherwise... It's fine. And we're moving in on a chess park, which is one of those places where there's a bunch of chess tables. People play checkers or or chess. And it goes past that. And everything seems normal. And just beyond the park, we zero in on a random door on a random building just as it bursts open. And looking through the doorway, it shows us basically a portal to like a garden. As I doubt there is a full garden in this uh, and sunshine in this building. So, um we see a tall, bald man in a dressy overcoat walking through the garden and through the doorway onto the city street. The door slams behind him as he walks over to a bench and starts to read a paper. Only a second has passed when a woman, who sounds British, walks up. He tells her that she's late and he has a school to run. And she says it's something important. He disregards this as unnecessary panic that the woman usually pulls, but she slams a giant ass moth down on his New York post <laughs> and says, it's happening. Excuse me. Dun, dun, the fuck dun. Is this? <laughs> Get this big ass bug away from me, bitch. <laughs> I don't need this. It's huge too. It's like the size of her hand. Yeah, it's really gross. <laughs> it's big. Yeah. So she sits down next to him as he folds the moth into his paper saying there's, they're not even at break bills yet. And she says, I know get them there. She goes on to say that she prays that they get something under their belts before he finds a way to them. And yes, this is very ominous. Of course, I know who they're talking about, but for the sake of recapping the show, I'm going to pretend I am none the wiser. Continuing, he is basically jaded and says that she is too positive they can control anything that happens. And she says they have to at least try to get them ready, especially him. Like, why don't I remember this opening scene at all? <laughs> I actually had no memory of this either. And I was like, wait, I forgot about all of this. <laughs> no, I was like, oh, you know, stuff started coming back to me. But I was like, wow, I really did. I OK, but this is like the classic. They introduce this stuff up front to be like, hey, this is important. You're going to forget it. You're going to forget it. And then like two episodes later, they're going to be like, remember? 
Remember when we were talking about that in the first episode, in the first scene? No, yeah. you forgot. Yeah, I will remind you. Here you go. But yeah, I know. <laughs> so anyway, so this guy, he says he'll do what he can. She turns to him and puts a shiny object into his coat pocket by asking if he, quote, still has an eye on their boy. And he says, yes and no. And she asks what that means. Where is he? And that's where we cut over to the Midtown Mental Health Clinic which is a, apparently on the shore of, I guess, the Hudson, and right. it overlooks the Statue of Liberty. Isn't that where the Hudson is? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Good. I'm not <laughs> good. All right. <laughs> it isn't a bad view for a mental health yeah, facility. Yeah, looks nice. So, you know, we nutty types need our all the little inspirational female figures we can get, okay? You need that sea air coming in. Exactly. And we need to see somebody <laughs> holding a torch proudly and like, all right, I can do this, right? Anyway. So inside, we see someone is spinning a coin on a table. It looks like a quarter, but it definitely isn't one. It doesn't have the, it's like the size of a quarter, but I don't know what it is. It's a weird coin. A finger goes out to stop it. The hand picks it up and interweaves the coin through its fingers as a woman, presumably a doctor, watches on. We finally reveal a sad looking young man in a gray hoodie as he plays sleight of hand with the coin, making it disappear like <gasps> magic. <laughs> <laughs> She tells him, nice trick. I'm sure you're a hit at parties. And he just looks at her blankly as we cut to nighttime. Yeah, you know he it, doesn't go to parties. Yeah. It's a wild party full of <laughs> hot 20-somethings. Everyone is dancing and having fun as the same guy sits on a low beanbag chair in a flannel shirt. He cradles a red solo cup, which, of course, everyone knows is a staple of any TV or movie party scene. And watches some girl in Daisy Duke shorts shake her ass for everyone to see. Which she stops as soon as she sees him watching. Because he's just like a creepy moper in the corner. Like, what the hell? Yeah, it's really weird, but whatever. We cut back to earlier with the doctor. It just cuts back and forth. And it kind of makes you go, when when is what happening? And uh, so she's asking the guy if he thinks he's ready. He says he is because he feels better. She says when he was admitted, he reported he couldn't concentrate, eat, or get out of the bed. He said the feeling of not belonging anywhere was overwhelming. Mm. So I was recently like, I don't know if the audience know this, you know this. I was recently diagnosed with autism. I totally get this. Only I'm pretty sure the outcome of my diagnosis will not be like this guy's upcoming journey. I mean, you don't know yet what's going to happen. But it would be cool, but we'll see. Also, there's a part of this that is like, Quentin is kind of normal. Yeah. And he's sad, and we're all sad inside. Exactly. <laughs> That's where you're kind of like, you. I empathize, like you said, I empathize absolutely. more with TV Quentin. Yes, absolutely. Than the book Quentin. Book Quentin. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> now back at the party, we see him awkwardly trying to chat up two girls by talking about a sleight of hand magic thing. You know how that works. <laughs> yeah, you know. But he's bad at it because he's like lecturing them about insulting sleight of hand in comparison to CGI and movies. I'm like, dude, just shut up. He's not a good talker. I would talker. be like, go away. He's not a good talker. No. It's like the like for me, theater kids. Like trying to talk to a theater kid and be reasonable. Like, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, he he is similar, except it's not theater he's obsessed with. It's something else. Exactly. Back at the facility. 
the doctor reads back to him that he once said he was the most useless person to ever live. And I'm like, geez, sign me up to be this guy's friend. That's pretty severe depression, I'm going to say. like that. He sounds enticing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, man, I'm the most useless person to ever live. Want to be my friend? No. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I this is what I mean that like Jason Ralph takes this character and like transcends book Quentin. Yeah. I, I yeah, I I totally agree. She asks him if he feels better. Back at the party, he's talking about something to do with Danish people and how they have a dark soul. I'm like, what the hell is he talking Why about? Why did that come up, Quentin? I don't know. And so quickly. Just say, like, have you seen the movie whatever that came out? I I don't. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care about what they have to say. That's part of what's wrong with Quentin. Yeah. He's very self-indulged, self-focused. Everything is all about him and how he feels instead of, like. And it's like an endless loop. If he stepped outside of himself more, he might feel better. Right. But but it's an endless loop for him. Exactly. At the facility, it seems he's trying to talk his way out of treatment by agreeing with the doctor, which is like a classic maneuver. Oh, totally. I'm not crazy. I'm just going to go home and cry myself to sleep in the corner. Right. You know what? (laughs) Everything you say about me is right. I need to do this. I need. Yeah, that's exactly. You know what I mean? That's what you do. You're trying like, oh, okay, they're getting it now. They're getting it now. I think doctors catch on to that pretty quickly. I do too. (laughs) Especially if they've seen it a few times. He says he's a kid with his life ahead of him, and he has so many notions of what could be. However, he says eventually you have to let that go, and that's what he wants to do. Sell his comic book collection and get serious. Okay. Okay. So at the party, we see him catch eyes with a girl across the room, and they are obviously friends already. She waves him over to join her with her boyfriend. Why? And he motions that he needs to refill his drink and walks off, leaving her looking concerned. (laughs) I don't want to talk. No talking. No, no. The doctor talks to him about graduating soon, and he says he's got a Yale interview for a graduate program following that following Tuesday. She finally calls him by his name, Quentin, and says she recommends further treatment. Me too. Also, it seems he, the gall, you know, the gall to be depressed, and you've got like an interview at Yale? Shut, shut the fuck up, Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. That's true. I'm so sad. I'm going to do the prestigious school. I'm so sad. Nobody I, understands. I literally me. have my life in front of me and have like one of the premier opportunities available to a young person my age in front of me. And like, there's nothing in the world for me. Uh, nobody likes me. I'm useless. Nobody likes you because you're like this. That's yeah, why that's nobody likes you. Literally, why? <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. So yeah, he's familiar with the system and says that he's never threatened to hurt himself or anyone else and they can't make him stay. I mean, I'm like, this is, yeah. I mean, it's true. It's true. It's true. He dropped the niceties though. He was all trying to be like, all right, I agree with you. I need to do this. And she's like, <laughs> well, I think you need further. No. He's like, no, I ain't, I ain't staying. In fairness, that's a good thing to know for anybody out there. Anybody. Yeah. It is. Because you don't, like, I haven't done anything to hurt me or anybody right. else. Right. Like, so you can't you keep me, me here. <laughs> right. Next, we see him at the party. Now he's in a bedroom alone, reading. We look around the room, and it seems to be his, complete with pill bottles. And he's got a massive collection of books and posters in a series called Fillory and Further. In fact, he seems to be reading book one in that series at this moment, 
which has a unique clock on the cover as we zero in on it. It's a, it's a tall grandfather clock with two ram's heads on top, like facing away mm-hmm. from each other. Very unique. And as we zoom in closer, we transition to what Quentin is reading. The clock is red and in the home, uh, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> let me say that again. As we zoom closer, we transition to what Quentin is reading. And this is what he's reading. He's He sees in his mind, I guess, that there's this big red clock, the same clock, but it's red. And it's in the hall of the home. And the story is very similar to the Chronicles of Narnia setup, which, you know, we can pick apart as we mm-hmm. go along if we want. Quentin reads, the Chatwin twins and their older brother had been sent to the countryside. Very Narnia, except only three of them instead of four. We see all three of them sitting in a parlor with the clock nearby as they read through their own books, I guess. He continues, from a young age, Martin Chatwin had a gloomy nature. Hello, Edmund. That's what it sounds like to me, right? Sounds a lot like him. Anyway. Oh, I mean, I I uh, have not read all the Narnia books, and I really didn't like them. So I can't draw that many comparisons. It's more Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe setup, if yeah, anything. Yeah, that's yeah. true. To combat his melancholy, he would lose himself in stories of wonder. We, saw, we see all three siblings walking up to the ticking clock with the ram's heads. Martin walks up to the clock, opens the bottom door, and steps in reaching a handout for his siblings. Quentin reads on. So he knew that he would have trouble convincing his brother and sister that his that this was no fantasy. Rupert, wounded in the war, and the first chat went to put away childish things. We see Rupert put on his formal soldier hat and step into the clock. Next, we see Jane, the family skeptic, step into the clock, shutting the door behind her. I would not be shutting a damn door behind me. I wouldn't shut it either. Clock. But then again, we don't know what they're walking away from. That's true. We follow her as she steps out of a large tree on the other side. And Quentin says, this was Fillory, a land of magic. This is also what I do at parties, Quentin. (laughs) (laughs) I just go read about magical land. I read my favorite nerd books. (laughs) Close myself off. Which, you know, okay, stepping back to this party thing. So everybody's looking at him all weird, like he shouldn't be there. And I'm like, this is his house. This is his place. Yeah, but <laughs> he's so antisocial that they're probably like, oh, you're, you've emerged from the room and you're not always talking about Fillory? Because we're getting the vibe that like he is obsessed with Fillory. Yes, he is. He's very much obsessed. Well, obviously he is. He has all these this huge collection of stuff in his room. So, But like it infects his mind. Yeah. Yeah. It really affects him too deeply. You know, which is an th- autistic trait. That's why I brought that up. It's because it's very mm-hmm. um, hyper-focused and obsessive over certain things. It's like a comfort. It's like a comfort blanket type thing, which is why I was like, is he autistic? Like, you know, it kind of seems like he could be, but we'll see. I mean, maybe. I think he might just be obsessed. <laughs> or he's just messed up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, everybody has their things. Everybody has their thing. So Jane... Chatwin calls her brothers Rupert and Martin over to look at a tree that has a clock in its trunk. As Quentin continues, Martin thought they needed Fillory, but no, Fillory needed them. It is here that our story begins, but be warned, this adventure is no mere children's tale. An aerial shot of the three siblings pulls up uh, up the tree and to reveal a large moth 
which is actually bright, bright and colorful. Kind of looks like a, almost like a butterfly. It's all blue and everything, but it's watching from one of the branches. And it seems very familiar to something we just saw. I'm just saying. I see what you're doing, magicians, writers. Is it all connected? <laughs> is it? Maybe. Hmm. Just then, there's a knock on Quentin's door as his friend enters the room. She asks why he left, and he, and then tries to entice him into liking some girl in rainbow shorts. She tells him that there are tons of girls out there who are waiting for him to finish reading the books he's read 800 times and come out of his room. He says, excuse me, he's sad and says that he'll come as soon as he finishes. It's the first edition that he's going to be selling on eBay, and this clearly depresses him. Which I get, speaking of someone who has collected a lot of Funko Pops, <laughs> I feel the pain as I need to get rid of a bunch of them as well, and it's it, it hurts me. It hurts me inside. But why does he need to sell it? He's going to Yale. I don't know. To move on. He's, he said he's going to oh. sell his comic books, but I'm like, oh, it's I not bet. really his comic books. Yeah, that's it. He's trying to, quote unquote, grow up. Right. So you got to let go of all your stuff. No, you don't, guys. Also, Growing up doesn't mean you have to get rid of everything. No, that that's how you get more depressed. Yeah, that makes it even worse. You're <laughs> you're not allowing yourself to eventually transition out of of something. Right, like you're you just, you need to be able to feel joy as an adult too. Yeah, and if that brings you joy, keep it. Yeah, screw what other people think. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. So she lays down next to him on the bed and gives him a comforting kiss on the cheek, just as her boyfriend enters the room. He jokingly speaks of adultery and then jumps on the bed, shouting three way. Which triggers a few others from the party to come in and do the same, and it breaks Quentin's bed, which would piss me off to no end. Yeah, but I feel like this always happens in movies and TV shows. I've never had this happen. No, not with these crazy people. I, like, okay, if I was Quentin, I was clearly not in the partying mood, and now these immature jerks are breaking my bed? Get the fuck out of my room! I mean, look, they're all, like, 19, right? No, they're not. Or are they this all, like, going... 22? 22, 23 That's yeah. even worse, Quentin. It's worse. It's worse. But yeah, yeah. anyway. <laughs> they invade the his space. Yeah, they do. And they break his bed. That just pisses me off. I, mm. <sighs> so the next day, Quentin and his friend, and then, by the way, I'm not saying her name until the show says her name. Okay. Because I like to point out how long it takes for yeah. us to learn characters' <laughs> names. Okay. If, you ha- if you're not familiar with the books or the show in general, I've already named all the characters earlier, but I'm just going to let you know this is how long it takes. So they're walking through Manhattan, and she's walking him, apparently, to his Yale interview. He's nervous, but trying to talk himself down by saying it's just an alumni interview. You know, it's nothing big. And she says, Yale is lesser Ivy. I'm like, really? Is it? <laughs> I didn't oh, realize that. Oh, be in a position to even have that kind of opinion. I know, right? <laughs> and he says, they'll probably take anyone conscious for philosophy. You're going to Yale for philosophy grad school? What? Really? Also, Quentin, you're trying to be happy. I'm I'm going to fight you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Fisticuffs. They approach the door and say, and he's like, you know, you can go. She tells her that. But she tells him, no, I'm, I'm, I'm your angel, like your guardian angel type of thing. So she's there for moral support, basically. They ring the bell, but no one answers. So they find that the door is unlocked and they go right on in. No one is around as he announces himself as Quentin Coldwater for the grad school interview, but no answer. He wanders over to a room where he sees a clock. 
with double ram's heads on top. What? He is mesmerized since he obviously knows what this is. But suddenly his friend screams and he jumps. He turns and sees that she screamed at a dead man lying in the chair behind him. Like, how could you miss that? <laughs> this is how obsessed he is with Fillory. He entered a room and he went, oh, it's a, a Fillory clock. clock. <laughs> She's like, oh, a dead body. <laughs> oh. Quentin isn't hooked up to our reality fully. No, he's not. <laughs> this is where it blacks out. And we see the side of a building as the shadows of tree branches overtake it. And the title of the magicians appears while like this kerplunky mysterious music plays. What's this like twinkly mysterious like. Yeah. It's kind of a weird spot to put the title sequence to, in my opinion. Like you would think in the first episode, just say the magicians like you normally do on any pilot episode of any show. And then do the uh, title sequence in the next episode, you know? They built the intrigue. And then you're like, boo, 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 boo. What is this? And it's 10 minutes into the show. <laughs> so they're like, dead body, then title. Go. <laughs> shit just got real. Just got real. So we go back and with the dead body, it's, it's being collected by the coroner and some medics or whatever who placed a sheet over it. The medics start to take the man away. And one of the team turns around to talk to Quentin and his friend. <gasps> it's the same woman from earlier that was talking to the man on the bench. <gasps> what? What can she be up to? Hmm. She makes a presumptuous comment saying, from the look of it. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. This is bad. From the look of him, he seemed to be, and she like mimes a bottle to her mouth (laughs) like he was a heavy drinker. And then she then says, did you kill him? To Quentin. who's like, no, Jesus. And she's like, I'm just kidding. I'm like, not appropriate, lady. Not appropriate. They're obviously shaken by finding a dead body randomly. Yeah, but paramedics are like, we do this every day. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha dead body. <laughs> Did you kill him? No. Okay. <laughs> like, for someone who may have not seen a dead body before, it's kind of traumatic and it's not a good time to joke. Just yeah. FYI. So she tells them that they are free to leave, but then stops him. She grabs a thick envelope and hands it to Quentin saying she thinks the dead guy had left it, left it for him. That's weird because you don't know who I am. Yeah. I don't know. She's psychic, I guess. So they leave and Quentin dives right into the envelope and it appears to be the missing sixth book in the Fillory and Further series that was written in 1952. No way. And the sixth book is conveniently titled The Magicians, I might add. Oh my God. So meta. Is this real? Is this real? Is this real in life, guys? Is it happening? You just know Quentin, who is obviously a rabid fan of this book series, is probably creaming in his pants at this moment, right? I mean, I'm honestly surprised we get the rest of the show, and he's not just like, I'm going to sit right here in the street and read it. I know. Like, I would have <laughs> stopped. If I was that obsessed with something, I couldn't have kept walking. I'm like, I got to go sit down somewhere, get me a cup of coffee, just <laughs> devour this thing, right? Yeah. I just saw a dead body. I need some happiness right now. Right. That's You'd what think I he'd thought. be craving to turn to his comfort thing. But he is. He wants to. So he's like excited. But his friend, who we finally hear him call Julia, is here to stop that noise before it gets out of hand. You can tell that Julia's been dealing with his antics for years. She is frustrated. He's been obsessed with Fillory so much that he wrote his entrance essay on it. Quentin. She basically suggests that the dead guy probably had some elaborate fan fiction. And she wants Quentin to give up the Fillory and further shit and start living a normal life. 
and I get it. I see what she's saying. But like I said, being someone who is very into TV shows, I know how he feels. And I I just, I get it. Like, could he, that's why I keep saying, could he be autistic? I don't know. I really don't. Or is he just a man boy who won't grow up? I, I, I feel like part of it is like he developed this obsession and like, we don't know yet from the story. So I'm just guessing, but like, it's just a comfort thing to such an extent that he now uses it as a crutch. Yeah. I think that's what it is. And then he can be like, well, I love Fillory. I don't need anything else. Right. I get you. Yeah. So anyway, Julia says that the sixth book is just a rumor made by super fans of Fillory on the internet. That would make me want it more. I know. But well, if it's if it was a rumor, I want to read this. I want to read it. (laughs) And you can tell when something's old, like the paper, especially if it's from the 50s. That was kind of yellowed out, right? I, I mean, just, yeah, like I get her point too, but also if there if if this is one of those finds, if someone was like there's a pretty little liars like season 7 DVD somewhere in the world and I found it, I'd be really be into no it. Stopping you. World domination by No Arlene. stopping me. <laughs> oh, and if goodness. any friend was like, "Oh, it's just some DV- TV show." I'd be like, "You're just some dumb person." Get out of my face. You don't know me at all. <laughs> so, yeah, she, he's, she's like, give up the Fillory crap. And he's like, he comes back with the fact that Julia is the one who got him into the Fillory books. And he learned all these magic trips j- just to keep up with her. So? However, she says, well, that was when we were in high school being nerds. But we're grown up now. Oh, no, you can be an adult nerd. Just you yeah. can have friends and not be like Quentin. Right. Exactly. <laughs> She's kind of being a judgmental Ju- Julia. and um, <laughs> she, she is, but like you said, she's been dealing with this for years. What's funny is that what happens later on, it kind of makes you go, really, Julia? But anyway, we'll get to that. So yeah, he gets mad and says, it never seemed to bother her until she met James, the boyfriend, who I might add is played by Michael Cassidy, a very handsome actor who pops up in a lot of shows like The O.C., mm. People of Earth. The Rookie, Mythic Quest, nice. um, Hallmark movies. Um, he even played undercover agent Jimmy Olsen in Batman vs. Superman. Fun. Who gets killed <laughs> right when you meet him. <laughs> anyway. So Julia takes offense and comes back with, I know we were at the hospital all weekend. And alludes to other activities. And he says, life is raw. Everyone medicates. I... I, she- I um... <laughs> So she tells him that life is starting and they need to pick something. He needs to pick something he's good at and just start living his life. I mean, I agree with that point. Like, just start trying to do things and meet people and experience life. Uh, yeah. Got to keep going. Kind of move forward. Right. Move forward. And you're so young. You're so young. Like, just keep going. Keep going. So they've calmed down a bit and she tells him that she loves him and she leaves to go meet James. So on his walk home, it's now evening. He's on a dark and empty street. He's looking through the fillery and further manuscript, which, okay. I would never, unless there was some kind of binder or something holding all the, I would not just have open loose leaf papers in I my agree. hands. I'm actually not sold that he's autistic because I don't think he takes enough care of things. <laughs> I, yeah, there you go. That's probably true too. Especially something like this. Right. He's gonna be like, I would have gone, let me just go into this. A FedEx office. And I feel like you would have gone straight home and been like, okay, I'm gonna have this I've got bound. it. I'm going to make sure this is right. I'm going to have copies of this made just so in case anything happens to this copy. Start I have taking another, pictures you know. with my phone. 
Yeah, everything. I would have been obsessed like uh, before I even fucking read this. Right. Like, I'm gonna get this copied, you know, at least and laminated and whatever. Damn, can you imagine laminating an entire book every page? Oof. How it's thick would the, that be? I don't know, but it's not the worst idea. <laughs> no, not really. Yeah, especially if you if you get wet, won't matter. It'd be nice. So yeah, so he's looking through the manuscript when a gust of wind blows a page out of the stack and down an alley. He starts to chase after it as we see Julia going into an elevator in her building. She pushes for the third floor, but the lift goes down. It looks like it's going to sub-basement areas, it Creepy. seems. I'm like, my ass would have started to panic immediately. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't mess with elevator nonsense. I, no, no, sir. So she pushes the button again, but the elevator keeps on with its descent. Meanwhile, the paper and Quentin is chasing goes into a garden and sticks to a branch. And each time he gets close enough to grab it, it flies off further from him. So he keeps chasing it into a heavy brush in the city garden. He goes deep into it. It starts to get dark as he pushes through until he comes out on the other side to midday sunlight. <laughs> the gloomy grayscale of the city is washed away. And now he's in what appears to be Technicolor. And it's a big lawn in front of like a big university campus. That's what it looks like right off the bat. But I'd be freaking like, like going crazy going, what the hell just happened? Where am I? You know? I mean, would you have gone through the whole hedge? That's part of what I like. Really? Quentin? He's really that obsessed. He wants that page. (laughs) That's how it happens. At the same time, the elevator doors open for Julia and she sees she's also in a new place. A windowed hallway where it is also midday and less gloomy. Hmm. Of course, she's baffled at just what happened. Like, how did she get here? Like, what the hell? We see a small sign with an arrow that says, two exams. And she sees it and finally starts to walk in the direction of the arrow. We pull back from her to see her walking down the hall with Quentin walking just outside in the same direction. I'm like, wouldn't you have seen her walking out of your peripheral? Like, I get that he's overwhelmed and he shouldn't, you know, like maybe he'd be like, oh, what's going on? But like, there's no one around. So that the only movement happening is in your, I would have seen her. I mean, I agree, but we've already established he doesn't notice things around him. He's, yeah, he's bad at it. So, yeah. So he's, anyway, (laughs) walking up the lawn to the main big building we've seen, Quentin kind of walks like a dopey kid. (laughs) Like. It's kind of hard to describe, but his arms look like they don't know where they want to go. And his (laughs) steps are so quick and uneasy. You have to watch it, people. So if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it to understand what I'm saying. It's almost like a lost child in a supermarket. That adequately describes Quentin. That's what he looks like. At most times. All times, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so he approaches a big stone sign that says brake bills on it. With a guy in a vest laid out on top, just kind of lounging and sunbathing, I guess, smoking a cigarette. The guy sits up and looks at a card in his hand, and he asks, Quentin Coldwater? And Quentin says, uh-huh. The guy looks at him and takes a drag of a cigarette. Then he says, I'm Elliot, and you're late. He then tells Quentin to follow him, which he does. Like, I love how he makes fun of his name because it is kind of like a, what kind of name is this? It it sounds like a fictional character name. (laughs) It's totally a fictional character name. Quentin Coldwater. The Coldwater is what really does it. Yeah. Like, really? So Quentin asks where they are and Elliot says, upstate New York. 
Hmm. Quentin wants to know where they are. And Elliot explains that it's Breakbills University and Quentin has been given an opportunity for a preliminary exam into the graduate program there. Which I would be instantly intrigued, but also scared out of my mind about what's going on. Very scared. Like, these people can manipulate reality in a way that is unsettling. And they want me to be a part of this. And what happens if I'm not a part of it? Like, what's going to happen to me? Also, I didn't apply. So, like, what does this involve? Yeah. That sounds shady. But, you know. So Quentin stops and asks, am I hallucinating? And this gives Elliot pause as he says, if you were, how would asking me help? (laughs) Fair point. You know? So Elliot then tells him to hurry up and he'll miss the exam. They enter a large room full of people seated at tables. Elliot leaves as soon as Quentin enters. And a voice from the front of the room asks for everyone to be seated now. We see that it actually is the same. The voice belongs to the same tall, bald guy from the first scene of the show. He welcomes them and tells them to address him as Dean. As Quentin awkwardly takes his sweater off, like getting it stuck over his head for a second, again, like a child. It's very like, I can't put my eyes down. <laughs> like, that's what it, you know what I mean? Like, I can't see. I can't see. I'm trapped. Yeah. As he's doing that, we see that Julia is seated a few rows up. As the dean tells them, all of their questions will be answered in time. But for now, they need to just concentrate on passing their exam in front of them. He flips over an hourglass and says, begin. No pressure. Like, like, no really good instruction at all. Nothing. You have no idea what kind of exam you're taking. Right. So Quentin opens his test booklet, booklet and he starts reading. And the pages change. Like pictures of hands come up and then there's a blank space. And then he's like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) He looks to the person next to him, a scowly guy in a sleeveless shirt and scarves. What an outfit. Am I right? The guy looks back at him like, what? And Quentin just says, sorry. And he looks back at his booklet. He starts to finally get it and starts answering some questions. Meanwhile, Julia at the front tries to raise her hand, but the dean wags his finger. No. (laughs) This is an exam after all. Come on, Julia. You know better. Little Miss Responsible. Come on. Little Miss Responsible adult. You know not to break the rules. It's not breaking the rule to ask a question. Yeah, well. Except here. Except for here. Later, as they're turning their exams in, they're given a slip of paper of the next room to go to for the, quote, final part of their examination. As Quentin gets his next room assignment, he sees Julia, who calls him Q, and they hug. They talk about how they mysteriously got there and Quentin is just thankful that she's there and now and his meds aren't just messing with his head. His new <laughs> meds aren't just messing with his head. And then the dean calls them out again because they need to stop talking. I'm like, how fucked up is this place? Bring me to a mysterious place via magic. Make me take an exam that hasn't been explained. And when I see someone I know, I'm not allowed to talk to them? Like, <laughs> my Hello. God, it's messed up. Can I say, if I saw my best friend at something like this, that would be a clue that I am hallucinating because what are the fucking odds? That's true. Like if I saw someone I did know, I'd be like, oh no, my brain has broken. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, maybe you're like, oh, I'm projecting or something, you know. Yeah, because I'd be like, oh, it's like a dream. There's someone familiar, but nothing else makes sense. Yeah, I could see I that. would think I'd had a psychotic break. Well, maybe this is the first time he's ever... And I, I would think maybe because he's already been through so much that maybe he's never hallucinated her before. So maybe that's like, okay, I'm not hallucinating this because I've never. Also, let's say. But he also said he was on new meds, so I don't know. Been through so much. <laughs> we don't really know yet. 
Well, we know that he's been in and out of medical facilities. Right. We don't know why likely. or anything related to it. And that he takes a lot of pills. That's all we right. know. But. but we also know he, like, rejects this reality. So, like. <laughs> <laughs> so, next we see Julia. In a one-on-one interview where the interviewer tells her that the exam they took was about her potential, quote, nascent magical abilities. Now, if you're like me and wondering what the fuck nascent means, because I've never heard Born it before. With. I looked it up. It means, quote, just coming into existence and beginning to display signs of future potential. That's what that mm. means. So, you know, I was like, doesn't he mean innate? No, innate means you definitely have it. Oh, you know? okay. Nascent means it's starting to develop. It's starting to come forward. Which is so interesting to put that at this age, which is far more of a like an age you'd expect than like 11. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, also audience, in the, the books, they are going into their undergraduate school. That's in the what show, they go into graduate school. I confused. They said the something about like the aging of people. It would be hard to do as far as like the time jumps and all, all that kind of I stuff. Totally so they get wanted it. older adults, so that's why they did it that way. Also, the college years—it never works. <laughs> the college years, magicians. The college years. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that should be one of our offshoot skits. Dean Fogg, <laughs> like at break bills, being a student. Oh yeah, young college. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And anybody else they talk about that, like who went, you know? Yeah, we should do that. We'll see. We'll see. So yeah, so she starts to say how she used to think she had magical abilities when she was a kid, but the guy cuts her off saying, "Well, you might have thought of that at one time, but you failed the written exam, so uh, you're actually here for me to prepare you to go home." How do you fail the written for magic? I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, she's offended saying, well, that test was crazy. And it just kept changing. And he says, I'm sorry. But she interrupts him. No. (laughs) Don't you want students who make actual inquiry instead of just accepting like sheep? I love Julia. I love Julia. (laughs) That's right. That's why I love her, too, because she questions the system. I love it. I like her even more now. Right. I didn't like her before because she's being kind of condescending. But, uh, yeah, I like her more now. She's like, can I just start over? She's like, I can't go to Yale now that I know that this place exists. And this is where he clarifies that it's his job to ensure that she doesn't remember break bills at all, which is so freaking messed up. Even if I get the whole secrecy of magic and everything. Yeah, it's it's very messed up. And that, yeah. So he stands up to douse himself with some hand sanitizer. With his back turned, she takes one of her many rings off her finger and uses a pointy edge to cut into her forearm. Very quick thinking. Really quick thinking. And then she hides the blood and the scarf with her sweater sleeve, which is a very smart move. Like, yeah, like this should help her ask how the hell she got cut, if anything, and maybe trigger a memory. Right. That's what I'm thinking when she's mm-hmm. doing it. So I see what she's up to. She's smart. He says, this won't hurt a bit before beginning. We cut over to another room where Quentin stands before a table of people. In the middle is the dean that we saw earlier. And the rest are presumably professors. The dean says to Q, let's see some magic before this woman to his left, like slaps down some cards on the table. And she like aggressively (laughs) slaps it down. She's like, bam, I'm like, chill out. Like just set down the cards. (laughs) You don't have to slam them down. I mean, they're seeing lots of kids. I think, man, you must be pissed off. (laughs) Did this fucking magic trick thing in. I don't know. So Quentin walks up to the table and takes the cards reluctantly. 
he starts to perform some sleight of hand. And the dean tells him, no, I want real magic. So nervous, Quentin starts to fumble with the cards and drops them. That's when the dean stands up. He starts to walk over to Q, and he asks if Quentin likes this place. He asks Quentin if he has a gut feeling that it's someplace special. Or, do you really want to go back to Columbia? He calls it a pointless, miasmic march to death of life, or whatever. It's cool that he's talking about what we're all living every day. I know. You're like, well, (laughs) shit. So he asks if Quentin wants to go back to that reality or to the family that never calls him or to friends that don't really get him, leaving him feeling alone until it crushes him. And you can tell how hopeless Quentin feels as he says, no, quietly. Yeah, this is some real manipulation. Yeah. So the dean starts to get harsh. Then quit dicking around. And Quentin says, stop it. The dean then starts yelling, do some goddamn magic. And Quentin yells, I said, stop it, just as he flips the cards out of his hand. But instead of falling to the ground, they float up and start to circle around in the air in like a dome-like shape. Magic! He is amazed. He cannot believe he's making the cards do this. I would just be like, oh, my God. Like, thinking about it gives me goosebumps. Like, oh, my God. Like, Could you imagine that happening to you? And all of a sudden you're doing magic? Yeah, he didn't mean to do it. It's awesome. So the cards are like moving around in circles and they all go to the table and they make like an animated house of cards. Like there's like turrets moving and all that stuff. And he's just hyperventilating. He's like, oh my gosh. And then he just taps out as he faints. I didn't realize he made the Fillory Castle. Is that really what he made? it that way. Yes. That's what the spinning, right? I just realized that. That makes sense. Yeah, because it's always on his brain anyway. So, yeah, of course, oh naturally, God. he would go I to Fillory. I, I never connected that. That is amazing. Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he fainted. And my ass would be fainting, too. But I'd probably pop back up for more because that would be badass. Um, <laughs> like, let's do more. All right. I, I think the stay point asleep. is that it also exhausts him. Yeah, that's true. So after a commercial break, we come up to a nighttime scene with Quentin walking through the woods and approaching a tree with a clock in its trunk, like the ones the Chatwin kids found in the Fillory books. He slowly reaches up like he's going to touch the clock when a girl's voice can be heard saying, I wouldn't. He looks up to see a girl sitting on one of the tree branches above, and it's Jane Chatwin. He recognizes her immediately. She says, playing with times is a difficult magic. You'll just make it worse. Mm. So Q asks, make it worse? Make what worse? Suddenly the girl is next to him and she says, and it won't stop him coming. Excuse me? What the fuck is Uh going on with this chick? Like, who is coming? (laughs) Quentin asks that same question. Like, who the hell is coming? And Jane Chatwin says, the beast. You're in the school. He's going to find you. Well, doesn't that make me just want to enroll right away? Yeah, Some guy I mean, the beast is going to find me. That's unsettling. What a welcome Q's getting, right? She continues, you're the one he wants. You have to learn. And Quentin's like, learn what? And she says to look down. And he does. And he's standing on a stepping stone. And she says, he's on the garden path. And if he stays on that path, the beast will kill him and everyone. She says to step off the path or, again, she's bringing nothing but good tidings for everyone. <laughs> Suddenly, we hear a growling, and Quentin is swarmed by a cloud of moths. He wakes up in a dorm room at Breakbills. 
Looking at his nightstand beside him, under the fillery manuscript he brought with him, he finds the deck of cards with the school's crests, which I want to get into the school's crest later okay. at another time. So not everything was a dream, obviously. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Breakbill stuff was real. What he just had was a dream. Meanwhile, in New York City, Julia wakes up next to her boyfriend, James. She's thinking, was it all a dream? And then she looks down to see the scar on her arm. Aha! Mm. The next thing we see is her in bed with the laptop. James is still asleep. And she's just searching for the references of, on the web for anything for break bills she you know, can find. She can't yeah. really find anything substantial. She's going nuts. She's like crazy, manic about it. Back at break bills, Quentin is in a meeting with Dean Fogg in his office who explains that magic is real. The Dean tells Q that it is a three-year program and he will begin immediately. Wow, just not going to really ask if he's going to want to enroll, right? Just you're starting Who now. says no? I know. Just going to push him into this craziness, but like, okay. Whatever. Oh my God, that's another skit we should do. Someone who was <laughs> like, uh, I think I'll pass. <laughs> All the rejects. I'm rejecting you. <laughs> not the other way around. I don't actually think I want to be here with a bunch of magicians who could maybe kill me at any moment. No, thanks. I'll teach myself. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. So when Quentin asks how they found him, Dean Fogg explains that the school uses enchanted globes that are all around his office to find potential students. So they like light up where people are, but they test to determine accuracy like they just did with he and Julia. Speaking of Julia, Quentin asks how she did. And the Dean explains that Julia didn't pass the test. Mm -hmm. He apologizes for Quentin's quote, Rocky road not having intended for Bob to die. And Bob was the alumni interviewer mm. that he and Julia found earlier. Quentin asks if Bob was murdered. And the Dean says, Bob snuck a box of Oreos. And Quentin looks kind of alarmed and assumes now that magicians can't eat Oreos. Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you give up Oreos for magic, Orlene? Uh, I don't know. Like a, someone, a like, lifetime of no Oreos. I know. You know, the second you gave them up, they would show up. Everybody would be eating them. You know it. I do love Oreos. I do. Are you a double stuff girl or are you like the basics? No, I mean, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to Oreos. I like the thin ones. The thin ones are good. You ever well, had those? I, yeah, I thought I would like them and I didn't. I just, I want that Oreo taste. Like, I just want that thing in my brain. I will say birthday cake Oreos are awesome. Oh, I haven't tried Try. those. You should try. I mean, you've had to buy a whole pack. So maybe you want to do it for a party and like leave it there if you don't like it. <laughs> it's the best thing you can do. Here. <laughs> I like these. I'm taking these with me. Or I had one. I don't like it. You can keep them. <laughs> Just do it that way. No one's going to care. <laughs> gives you an excuse. Gives you an out. Yeah. Basically. Like you have a commitment with Oreos. <laughs> anyway. So it turns out that Bob couldn't eat the Oreos because he was diabetic. <laughs> <laughs> it was had nothing to do with magic. So wait, that woman paramedic who gave the book, like, was that supposed to happen or not supposed to happen? Apparently not. Apparently Bob was a magician. He just died and that was not supposed to happen. So I guess she just showed up as a failsafe. Like, I don't Ooh, know. wild. I don't know. So Quentin asks if that paramedic was from Breakbills and Fogg says, well, yeah, she's kind of a freelance scout. Okay. That sounds scary in the world of magic. Yeah, freelance. What? <laughs> he then asks if there's, you know, Fogg asks if there's any more questions because I have 24 more students to see today. 
I'm like, well, yeah, rush him out. That's a good thing. Somebody who doesn't know what the hell's going on, rush him out. Like, it's not all about Quentin. I don't care. I mean, this show is, but (laughs) I know. So Quentin asks if magic is legal, and if the school is gearing up to take over the world. I'm like, wow, went straight for the diabolical, didn't you, there, Quint? Yeah, (laughs) damn. Can't be like, hey, why haven't we cured cancer? I know. (laughs) Dean emphasizes that the break bills team teaches them to hone their innate magical abilities and what students do with it after graduating is up to them. He says if Quentin wants to take over the world, they don't teach it, but he can give it a go. Like, no, maybe don't encourage no. your students like with grand evil's plots. Like that's how maybe, you get a Voldemort. I know. Like, like maybe what are you no, doing? Don't, don't give them the put that thought in their idea saying that's probably not advisable. Don't do that. You know, something. Hey, but, we hope our grads will do uh good things with magic, you know. Not yeah, destroy. We, the we world. try to improve the world with our magic, <laughs> you know, something. Not maybe if you want to take over the world after we're done with you, you can do that if you want, if you can try. And make everybody read the fillery books. Ooh. That's what he would do. You know he would. Make everybody appreciate it. Yeah. So after a little prodding for an answer, apparently he did ask him to whether or not he wants to stay there. Quentin signs his acceptance to attend. I would read that very thoroughly. You got to watch out with like magic contracts. He just kind of keeps glancing at it, but he's not like reading it. Like, but that's the thing. They do that shit to you when you're starting a new job or buying something. They're like, here, sign it, sign it, sign it. I'm like, because they're tricking you. I know. I'm like, I need to. Literally, the only reason they're tricking you. And it's like they they want to treat you like you don't have enough time to read it. You have to just sign it. I'll tell you what's on it though. Yeah, read your employment contracts. Those things get scary. Like, can I take this home? I'm going to take this home, sign it, bring it back, because I need to read it. Yeah, a lot of those non-competes probably aren't enforceable, everybody. Yeah, a lot of these, like, a lot of, like, um, Tennessee is one of those states where it's a right to work. So you you cannot do that non-compete shit. doesn't matter if they gave it to you in a uh, NDA or whatever anyway. Mm. You, you, it doesn't matter. It, you can't go over what the damn state says. <laughs> can't just make up something. So, yeah, Quentin, read your documentation. Read the docs. So yeah, he signs it. The dean says his friends and family will be given a story about his acceptance into a prestigious graduate school and basically glamour answers to their questions. So they're okay. Weird. That's basically what it's like. So don't worry about them. I'm like, okay, you're just going to mind wipe um, my family. Okay. But also after this experience, I go back to my friends and family. So cool plan. Yeah. And then I got to We're only going to reference for the rest yeah. of our lives. Well, I mean, if you, after three years and you've learned magic, like you can probably do almost anything you want, you know, like. I know. I'm just saying my friends still are like, remember in college when like X happened? What is Quentin's lifetime of lies? <laughs> if anybody brings up stuff like you're just constantly going to have to glamour people. You didn't hear right, that. Is he you constantly like, uh, let me check my spell book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So next, Dean Fogg asks for Quentin's medication. Of course, any patient that has fought for stable mental health would be kind of reluctant to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I don't want to give up my pill. That's, that's my, you know, safeguard. That's, you know, helps me. And Fogg explains that Quentin was never truly depressed. He was alone, not crazy. He was angry at the world. As if he has been listening to Q the whole time, he says, you're right. Everyone medicates out there. That's actually not true. 
I mean, that, yeah. That's really not true. But also, I hate how he reinforces Quentin's whole, like, you are right to think that you are special alone in the world. And yeah. it's like, no, we need to moderate that a little bit in Quentin. Saying you felt like you're different, and you are, but in a, not in the way you thought kind of thing, you know? Also, when you can't get out of bed and eat food, you are depressed. You're depressed. That's fine. It's, not, it's fine I'm to special, be special, like, so I have to stay in bed. No, it's right. not that. You're not secretly a magician. You're depressed, and it's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, he says everyone medicates out there, but at break bills, he hopes that Quentin won't need to. Now he has a chance to leave that behind. They all fucking medicate and drink and smoke. and That's like, the funny thing. They still that. do. They do. The they thing. do the things. Yeah. So Quentin hands him over his pills. I'm like, God, that's got to be a hard pill to swallow. Ba-doom. You're still a human with your brain chemistry. Like that's I, I know they gloss over this part, but it's just a little bit like, but why would me being magic change the way that like serotonin gets stored in my brain? Dean Fogg, are you a doctor? <laughs> that's what he should have said. Are you? And I don't mean like, you know, medicine man. Like <laughs> not like a PhD kind of doctor, but like yeah. a like a medical doctor. Cause I've seen yeah. medical doctors. It's not like his physiology is different than other humans. He just has magic inside. That's it. He has something extra. There's a difference. Not yeah, something taken away. He so has something did extra. Julia. She had right. something. And she wasn't clinically depressed for years. I don't anyway, just Exactly. It doesn't make sense. But maybe because Julia was able to mask herself, her crap so well, she adjusted easier than Quentin did. Oh, wait. I have an alternate theory, too, because we did forget the opening scene. They want him to think he's special, maybe, because he has something to do for them. The way they're talking, like he has to learn. Well, I remember as we went on in the series, there's a lot of manipulation from everybody. And trying to get him to do certain things and say certain things or perform certain acts and throwing obstacles in his way so he'll react and do this and that kind of stuff. So I know we found that out. but I find – so this I find much more analogous to something like an Ender's Game book than like a Harry Potter in the plot. Mm -hmm. Like uh, all the window dressing is Harry Potter, Narnia, like – That's how you sell it to people. (laughs) Right. But then when you get – into it the stories get way darker way darker (laughs) so returning to his room q finds he's been given a new roommate the sleeveless scarf guy he sat next to for the written exam nice the guy walks up to quentin like he's ready for a fight almost and gets pretty close to him he says what up roomie also he's pretty attractive oh god he's just gotta say that he's oh mm. (laughs) So then that's when Quentin notices that the manuscript, the Fillory Book 6, is missing from where he left it on his bedside table. Of course, he looks to his new roommate who says, you think I stole some dumbass kid's book? Not a good introduction. Yeah, I mean, also, Quentin, maybe don't accuse the person you just met who you have to occupy your room with of stealing from you. Right. Maybe ask if he's seen it. Right. (laughs) Not leading into a weird, you know where'd you put it type of tone, but just like, have you seen, I had mm. something here. Do you know where that went? That's all you have to say. You don't also, be like, what'd hey, you do with my book? What's your name? It's cool meeting you. Like he yeah. has no social skills. <sighs> Quentin starts to look for it while his new roommate asks, why do you have all that nerd boy dragon porn shit anyway? Are you 12? <laughs> the way he says it is so funny. <laughs> like, I don't agree with saying it, but it's very funny. It is funny. 
And just as Quentin stands up to further this argument, Elliot walks in with the interruption Quentin's been waiting for. <laughs> he brought along his friend Margot. She looks him up and down and says, this is him. He's not that cute. As she fondles Quentin's tie. I'm like, what the hell? Like, this is how you introduce yourself to people, Margot? Come on. It's a weird vibe. Very weird. It's almost incestuous with those two. It's like, it's got this kind of. Yeah, but they're not. Yeah, I get what related, you mean. But like, they're not related, but there's a strange. Yeah. Feeling between them. Yeah. She looks him up and down. And yeah, the next thing we see. The two are giving Quentin a tour around the school, explaining how student housing works. Like the first years had to stay in the dorms, second, third, they had, you know, they have these off dorm, off campus housing or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but outside we see groups of students um, doing a bunch of intricate hand movements with some windy, swirly magic moving around as they do it. Like, mm-hmm. It's all, like, like hand-based magic. Yeah, and you see, like, windy, windy thingies happening, you know? Yeah, they're making, like, symbols and patterns and things. Right. They're, it's it's very much, if you know Marvel and Wanda and Doctor Strange, they also do stuff with their hands very... And then they can oh, do things. yeah. That's how they do magic. They have to do the right hand movements in the right sequence type mm-hmm. of thing. So it's very similar to that, if you're wondering. So there's different types of things to study. There's the physical kids which I forgot what that was. So I'm like, huh? And telekinesis. Yes, please. I will take that course. He's like, Elliot's like, move shit, lift shit. Most can fly. I'm like, again, I want to learn telekinesis. <laughs> I would love to be able to fly. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, if you think about it, if you had telekinesis, you should be able to fly. You should be able to lift yourself. Well, you may not be able to impact yourself with it. It may be external. I don't know. But you're still you're kind of thinking externally. I like Maybe how you you're in a mirror. <laughs> I like how you're questioning is it questioning it as if we're talking about a real phenomenon that I was just like, I don't know. Here's a non-factual <laughs> thing. And you were like, but here's a fact. <laughs> but That's here's how a you fact. just answered that. But but you were like, I don't know. Speaking realistically. <laughs> You'd be able to look yourself in the mirror and that'd be outside of yourself. <laughs> We don't know yeah. any of the rules of how this stuff works. We don't know how know. magic in this world works at all. We don't, really. <laughs> so, yeah, Elliot runs up and grabs an apple out of midair from a group making them float. He says, they are ma- magnificent partiers. I'm like, could you imagine the party games? Like, I mean, fuck light as a feather. Let's throw some darts with accuracy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'd be awesome. Like, making bets or, or even beer pump. <laughs> oh, you oh I win. was thinking, like. Seven minutes in heaven, but you open the door and you actually go somewhere else. And then you have to, like, come back within seven minutes. You actually go to heaven? (laughs) (laughs) We don't know what all the worlds are. It's it's clouds. We don't know where all the doors go. We don't know. We don't know. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So Elliot continues that there's illusions classes, healing classes, nature classes. We see a group in a circle, like, conjuring a tiny rain cloud just above them. It's really cool. I mean, sure, but what's the purpose? I don't Who know. knows? I guess they can control the elements. I don't know. So Quentin is feeling overwhelmed, and you can see it all over his face. He's like, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. Like, that kind of look on his face. They pass by two goth girls. They kind of look like they're twins. I don't know. They kind of look like twins. Is. Anyway, Elliot says that they're the psychics, a.k.a. losers. 
Wouldn't and they the two be cool ones? Like that's so interesting. I know, but I don't know. I guess psychics are losers. I don't know. Okay. And they look at him and they seem to say, eat shit, Elliot, without moving their mouths. Yeah. It's so I'm like, is that psychic or telepathy? Like, come on now. Pick one. I don't know the but, difference. Well, telepathy just means you speak with your mind. Psychic usually means you can predict things. I thought telepathy meant I could also do stuff with my mind. That's telekinesis. Oh, okay. They're both tellus. Right. <laughs> tellies. But yeah. Then they pass by two particularly downtrodden students. And Quentin asks, well, what's up with them? And Elliot tells Margot, don't. You'll scare the child. True. And she says, maybe he should be scared. Then they giggle. <laughs> They're so demented. And then he calls her dramatic for telling Q that those students are what remains of the missing third year class. They were once 20 and now they're down to four. And nobody knows what happened to the rest of them. What the fuck? I'm like, what the hell? If I were him, I'd be like, what the hell did I just sign up for? Uh, yeah, at that point, you're like, am I staying here? <laughs> Can I just leave? Please? Am I going to make it out of break pills? <laughs> mm-hmm. So Margot says the rumor is that they were all killed. Elliot says they could have flunked or just got bored or they died 16 natural deaths. I'm like, again, why would you take this risk being hunted by, quote, the beast? And you also know that students go missing all for magic. Would you do that just for the darn magic? I don't think so. But the way that Elliot and Margot are so like lackadaisical about it, you don't really know how to take it. You're like, are they just not like, taking it seriously enough, or is it not to be really taken die, seriously? they really die, or is this a joke I'm not in on yet? Like, what's going on? Right. Elliot asks if Quentin ever read the waiver that he signed, and it says basically that, quote, spell work is not unlikely to murder you, and if so, oh well. I told him to read the documents. <laughs> he doesn't listen. <laughs> I know. He doesn't listen. Quentin. Yeah. So Margot says, she adds on, so stay on the garden path, kid, before they both giggle. <gasps> what does that mean? What does it mean? Yes. And he's like, that's what I heard in my dream. And when he asks about it, Elliot changes the subject and suggests they find something magic to smoke. I'm all about that magic smoke. That I can get down with, right? Yeah. I mean, this is like if two hours ago, Fog was like, we don't use that stuff. And then he meets Elliot and Margo and they're like, we use all the stuff. <laughs> Anything we can get our hands on. <laughs> After another commercial break, we pick up again in the classroom. Practical applications. Okay. That sounds boring. It, well, it's practical and it has applications in it. <laughs> anything that has applications in the title is like, nah. It's they haven't basics. learned anything yet. I want like intro to unicorns 101. <laughs> intro to unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. So, yeah, the room looks all wooden with desks and stuff in circle, semicircle. But the front looks like a, like the desk up front looks like a chem lab setup with like tubing and beakers. Yeah. You know? Like they're about to do an experiment. Yeah. And the professor explains that their entrance exam coaxed their magic out, but then asks, how does it grow into something more? Who can be in a magician? <laughs> I don't know. She then asks another student, Alice to demonstrate a spell. So Alice is blonde with glasses and she looks a bit uptight in her clothing, which looks sort of like a loosely hanging Wednesday Adams black dress. I feel like she looks uncomfortable in her clothes. That's what, well, she looks uptight. Like she doesn't look, she doesn't look comfortable. Uptight. Oh, to me, see, I was thinking uptight. You meant like personality wise. No, 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 no. 
So she walks up to a glass orb on the professor's desk. At the same time, in the back of the class, a girl in hoop earrings mocks the seriousness of the class while Quentin's roommate jokes that, shh, an artist is at work. And it seems Alice heard them as they turned to see her looking their way. I'm like, yeah, asshole, shut up. You're yeah, breaking her that, concentration. It's not that big of a classroom. I know. <laughs> she continues by quietly performing a series of hand movements while we hear whispering from the ether, I guess. Is it in her mind? Where is this whispering coming from? I don't know. She's over here moving her hands and you hear, and like, what the hell is that sound coming magic. from? It's the sound of magic. So she melts the now glowing glass orb down and forms a tiny little horse figurine that gallops about. Not the best use of magic, in my opinion, but it's still pretty neat. It's a good effect. I like It'd be that. cool to do at parties and stuff, you know, like, hey, give me that. I'll turn this glass into a something, you know. I mean, they said they're great at parties. Do it. We haven't it. seen a practical application yet. Not yet. No. I don't know how that's practical, turning something <laughs> I into. I don't, I don't know. I would think like, you know, mending things right. or or just, you know, or even telekinesis and floating stuff. That would be kind of practical beginner stuff. Figuring me, out but. how things work. Yeah. But whatever. She then swoops up the little figurine and quickly returns to her seat. as Very the awkwardly. Like applause. she's got yeah. like head bowed. Like she's clearly uncomfortable. Don't look at me. Socially like, yeah. awkward. Like, yeah. So hoop earring girl looks back to scarf guy for a second. I love how I'm describing them as this because she had huge hoop so earrings. So descriptive. <laughs> he says, this is great. She just kind of looks back at me and he goes, the answer is yes until you pass out. And then again, when you wake up. God. Well, damn. I mean, I wish I had the brass balls to be that forward with someone I've only spoken to once. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, I guess we assume he's reading her mind. I know. Yeah. So she asks if he just read her mind and he says, nah, it's just a guess. Oh, God, the confidence. Oh. So the next thing we see is them after class having sex in her dorm. Yeah. And then levitating off of the bed in the midst of it with other things floating around them as well. And I'm like, man, this is contagious magic. Magic sex. Magic sex. I know. <laughs> and I'm wondering, but here's the thing I don't get. So how are you thrusting in midair when you have nothing to push off of to thrust? Magic. <laughs> Also, like, which of the – is one of them doing it? Is it a combination of them both? Like, it's – like Either way, she was sitting on top, and it looked like she was kind of doing the riding thing, and her legs were to the side, so obviously she would have to kind of push with her legs a little to do that. So <laughs> what is she pushing off of if she's in midair? Him? I don't want to get too graphic here. Like, let's just <laughs> – But, I mean, seriously, if you are – having sex you move and you need something to like the ground or the bed or something physical to push from with your legs and your body you know unless your abs are just like oh she's just that oh like, man <laughs> it's a workout i mean i mean sex is a workout but i don't want an actual workout in sex you know <laughs> give me some dumbbells and be like all right we're cutting two things here get my rocks off and make my arms stronger you know something like, i don't know this is a show for adults. <laughs> it is. We said that earlier. We did. So later that day, Quentin, Elliot, and Margot are sitting outside by a fountain. The sex couple, the sex <laughs> now couple. giddy and leaving. Earrings girl call. and scarf guy. Yeah. They're the sex couple now. They're all like, ha ha ha. And they're giddy. And they pass by Alice, the horse figurine girl, who is by herself. 
As Alice walks by, Margot remarks that there's one of those every year, an overachiever. She says that they are always shy, yet they know they're smarter than everyone. Therefore, everyone hates them. I mean, she's not wrong. That's true. We don't know that yet, though. She seems mean. Hmm. Yeah. Quentin identifies the girl as Alice and says that he doesn't know how she does it. And Margot realizes it's Alice Quinn and tells Quentin not to bother comparing himself to her. She says Alice comes from a family of magicians and that the world is still inherently unfair because it's easy for her, right? The next thing you know, Margot looks over and invites Alice to come join them and make friends for once. But Alice looks suspicious of this invite and walks away. Fair. If anybody's ever like, come make friends for once, be like, hey, no, you suck. Yeah, I guess. No, thanks, bitch. She didn't seem mean about it, though. She didn't. I don't. Hey, come over here. Yeah, but like we see that Alice is really socially awkward, and so she probably and and... wouldn't like this kind of invitation anyway. And these yeah. people, we don't know. Yeah, like what does she know about break bills and other people if she comes from a magical family? Quentin doesn't know anything to look out for. He's right. just letting himself get scooped up by the closest people who show an interest. Mm-hmm. Elliot calls Alice "poor little magic girl," and I'm thinking. Okay, so if we're going to do a comparison to Harry Potter here, she would be the Hermione, of a, but born mm. into a magical family, not a non-magical not, family. Yeah, like, it's she's not Hermione. I don't but I'm, like I know, but I mean, I'm talking about, if, if you're saying, like, if you want to say, oh, he's the Harry Potter, and he's the, you know, then that would be her role, in a way, in this warped version of things, you know? But that's, I feel like it broke so far before, before that, that, like, because there's no Ron. It's not a threesome. Like that's. No, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But we still have some types. Work. Yeah. I I know. I guess, but like I don't know. Hermione is so confident. I'd compare her to Scarf Guy. Yeah, maybe she's like Hermione mixed with Luna Lovegood. I don't know. Um. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Later, Quentin sees Alice in a cafe studying. He apologizes for his friend's behavior, and Alice calls them cruel and unoriginal. I'm like, is it really cruel to invite you to join and make friends? I'm just wondering. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen anything cruel yet. No, but I guess she's just taking it, you know, that that's how it was. I think it also speaks to, like, Quentin sees any interest people take in him as worth picking up, and Alice doesn't see it the same way. Mm Mm-hmm. So Quentin starts complimenting Alice's magical talents, saying that his friends saw how jealous he was over her and they were mocking him more than anything. He's nervous, and I can see why she has a deep stare that just beckons you to say even more. Like she's just staring at him, like, say more, say more. Are you finished? Like kind of thing. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, damn, she like can burrow your her eyes into your head almost. He says it seems easier for her, and she says, No, I study. Yeah, why? That's such a shitty comment to make of like, what seems easy just because she knows something you don't know? You don't know how she got there. That's true. Quinn sucks. But he does say it seems easy. He doesn't say it's easy. But how easy for does you. it seem easy? Well, yeah. She like, can say, how, do, how so? But she doesn't. Right. And like, Quinn doesn't have an answer. He's just envious and he turns it into an attack on someone else. Uh, like, um, he can. That's so, if someone said that to him about anything, he would be so offended. Maybe. It depends. Well, people are going to say it to him soon, and he's going to be real offended. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, he tells her that he's scared he's going to get kicked out. 
and starts to ask for help. And Alice explains that despite her reputation, she has no special advantage because of her family. Apparently, her parents are, quote, useless, crazy people who never taught her a drop of magic, per her words. And she taught herself magic. Yeah, this is why Quentin is so shitty. Like, imagine a better answer to everything seems easy to you coming at you from some depressed white dude. And you're just like... Do you want to hear my story? This is how it went down. Yeah. Excuse you? This is day one. What have you taken the initiative and done? Well, this is what she basically says back to him. She says, there, is there anything else I can do to make you feel better or are you good? Yeah, she's great. I love how so many people here read him. Mm -hmm. Alice probably gets pigeonholed as that smart girl and... And everybody asks her for things all the time, probably, because that's usually what they ha- what they do in most of these types of stories. People are always asking Isn't for help. Isn't this the first day people. of class? Hmm? This is the first day of class. It's, I think, and the way this this, this episode I moves, mean, sure, it's like several days go by and you don't even know if several days went by. It's just all of a sudden it does. So sure. I don't know if it's the first day or not. But Like, Margot's not in their class either. Right. Yeah, they're, all, they're like a year above. She didn't see the demonstration. Right. She hasn't and, seen anything from Alice yet. Which is weird that... There's one thing I want to ask. Like, so how did they know that Alice could do this if she's also a first year? Was what do you it mean part of her they? entrance exam? You mean like the teacher? Like, yeah, like she called her up to the front and had her do that thing. If that, if she's in a first year class, she's got to be a first year, I'm sure. But everybody so, went through the exam. Like, they knew Quentin couldn't do anything because they saw that. They like, so they must have just pinpointed it. her as like, you're the most apt student or, 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 um, accomplished magician so far out of this group and we're going to make you demonstrate something you're the one coming in with the most control over a skill and you know you know i wonder if that's been like that her whole life that's what i wonder like has it always been that way has she always been the front of the class and have people always kind of been bitter toward bitter towards her for that and maybe in turn that's why i would say she might be bitter like a lot deep and when i think about this crap i really do and it goes really quick in my head in my opinion, if anyone is bitter, he is bitter that anything seems easy to anyone if it's something he wants. He might be bitter towards her for sure, because she seems to have a leg up, like as in knowing about magic well before he does and having been able to, to learn about it and whatnot. He might be bitter about that for sure. Oh, he totally is. I mean, he's bitter about that because he's seeing like he doesn't see the trauma of it. So he's just like, oh, you have this thing I want. It must have been easy. And it's yes. like, hey, Quentin, take a step back. You don't know anything about this world. Take a step back, Quentin. I mean, I feel like that's kind of good advice for him in general. But In general, yes. He's like, you don't know anything. You really need-. But that's the thing about him. So he's got a problem of like, shut up, foot and mouth syndrome. Like, shut up. You know well, what I mean? He, he thinks about his own motivations and needs in a way that is very obvious. Like he that, does go on a good journey, though, in this. He does, so. but like when he starts out, it's very much like, oh, she has that. It's a thing I don't have, and that's how he sees it, as it's, opposed to, like, it's a thing I could gain. It's bitterness in the form of jealousy. Oh, he's very, yeah. like yeah. For her, I was just saying bitterness is in the form of, like, I'm an apt student. I'm good. Everybody knows this and everybody either wants something for me or wants to point this out or wants to gender pendulum me or something. Sure. You know what I mean? Or like, so yeah, you'd be bitter about me. that after a while. You're like, fuck, leave me alone. Like, question you know? how I got my stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I was like, bitter party of one. 
Should that be the episode title? Bitter party. <laughs> Bitter party of one. Okay. A few days later, Quentin is on a payphone call with James, Julia's boyfriend, who's explaining that Julia has not been acting normally for weeks, barely eating and talking. James says that she, quote, looks like a goddamn ghost. And we see Julia in the background obsessively scouring the internet for more break bills info. Termination? <laughs> Determination. <laughs> Thy name is Julia Wicker. I want to say termination. What the hell? I mean, I love that she's so on it. And also, you were said several weeks later, Quentin hasn't been checking in on his BFF. I know. Oh, it's a few days later. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I thought you said a few weeks. And I was like, what? I know. But it's been a while. So, you know. Anyway. James says that she is, quote, not Julia and is upset that he needs, like, his high and mighty mega genius Quentin back to help. I'm like, with that attitude? Really? You're going to say this to him? I'm like, you best be happy, like, his best friend is the one needing help, or I'm sure he would be like, peace out, fucker. (laughs) Do any of these people like each other? (laughs) I know. No one really does. You thought he did because he was like, oh, three, and now he's, like, acting like he's a nuisance. And he hasn't even spoken to him for a while. So James then reminds Quentin that Julia's birthday is coming up and wants him to come by the party he's throwing for her. Quentin accepts as Elliot and Margot arrive. And of course, they overhear the word party and are instantly down, insisting that they join in due to Q not knowing how to get back to Breakfields. You really need us because you won't be able to find your way back. Don't take them anywhere. They're crazy. I'm like, this seems like a trap, but you know. So at the party, the three arrive, but Elliot and Margot quickly excuse themselves to the bar. And Julia looks all sad and bored looking, just kind of dull. And James is like helping her open presents. Like, oh, look at this. Look at this. Like, oh, sad. It's almost like with a baby, like with a child, like, look, you got a new onesie. Look, look. And the baby's like, I don't give a fuck. What is this? (laughs) It's colors. That's all I see. So Quentin walks up and they all hug, though Julia is majorly subdued and walks off like immediately mm-hmm. as they after they hug and get, get a drink. But I mean, I'd be alarmed for sure. She, yeah. She's acting really calm and distant and like you walk up. Hey, I haven't seen you. Hey, like very hollow, uh, you know. Wow. Very vacant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this random guy at the bar wishes her a happy birthday and she ignores him. And he says, we're not. And then she gets her drink and says, yep, so go jump off a cliff. Happy birthday. She sounds like, fuck, girl. He just said happy birthday. Simple thanks, but I'm not interested will do. Okay, but she (laughs) knows magic exists. I know, but still. Like, she's really dealing with something. she's like, go jump off a cliff. Like, well, fuck. (laughs) Oh, that was a happy birthday. But I wanted another tie-in here. I noticed that this guy is played by David Call who I just spotted on my rewatch of the original Gossip Girl. Oh, nice. He was the teacher that Serena almost had an affair with, but Lily had him jailed for statutory rape, even though he didn't do anything. I mean, so I don't remember it, but sounds legit. You know, he <laughs> sent his sister, Katie Cassidy, after Serena. Oh, uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, see, and they all screwed. And then his brother was Sam Page, who was on all these Hallmark movies and stuff. Nice. And ended up also dating Serena as being her college professor. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? screwed up for sure what do you think they talk about at christmas when like the all the actors come home? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so anyway so quentin finds julia outside alone on a picnic table 
and she smokes a cigarette. Don't smoke assholes. It's not worth it. Take it from someone who just lost their mom to COPD. Quit while you're young. Quit now. Put it down. It's not easy. I know I had to quit. It's not an easy thing. Quit fucking smoking. Find every way you can do it and do it. Just saying. PSA out. Yeah. So they lock eyes for a moment before she says, I need you to tell them they were wrong about me. And he says, who? And she says, break bills. And then she adds, say, what's break bills? And I will stab you. Yeah, very fair. She is like at the end of a rope here. Very smart, though. She's like, I knew he was about to say, what what are you talking about? She knew. She knew. BFFs, Quentin. (laughs) This is where he gets really shitty in my opinion. I really, I hate this scene. We get past it, but like, oh. I know. It pisses me off. I'm like, you asshole. Like, I I can't stand him in this scene. Yeah. So she tells him to ask break bills to test her again. And he wonders, well, how do you remember? And she says she doesn't know, but then she shows in the scar on her arm stating that maybe she just wouldn't let herself forget. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was like, I did this. And so I guess that's what makes sense, like that she woke up and she probably thought she dreamed all of it. And that's probably the magic spell. But, oh, it was a dream. It didn't really happen. Uh, this is what yeah. happened. And then when she sees the scar, she remembers from the dream she did that. And she's like, that wasn't a dream. Mm. So that's smart. Yeah. So Quentin says, well, they'll just ripe your memory again. And Julia says she can't think about Yale Business School if she knows that break bills exists. Yeah. And he says she would have to do be able to do certain things. She then says, watch. And she puts her hands together and makes sparks with her fingers from a spell yeah. she found on the it's internet. It's cool. Yeah. It is. It's kind of, you know, not really together, but it's. Yeah. yeah. You can light a cigarette from it. She can do magic. That's probably what she did. <laughs> Lit my cigarette. You know, why not? So she insists that she belongs there, and he says there's a bunch of nothing spells that, you know, like what she's doing. They even have to keep taking down a video of George Bush, who is drunk, making air ripples. And I'm like, I'm guessing it's W, because that sounds like a party boy move. Yeah, it's definitely W. But also, Quentin. Quentin. You know nothing. Stop with your judgmental ass. You literally just got here. You didn't even know magic existed. Come on now. He's such a douche. I can't stand him. I mean, uh, yeah, it's again credit to Jason Ralph that uh, we do not always feel this way about Quentin. No, he's a likable. He's a likable actor. It seems so. As a person, yeah, anyway. and and the character does go through growth. But in the scene, you're just like, oh my god, Quentin, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Don't <laughs> be this mean to Julia. You don't know what she's going through. Word. <laughs> So Quentin says it doesn't mean she has potential. (gasps) And I'm with Julia when she says, ouch. Yeah, that is beyond the pale, Quentin. That's BS right there. So he says the school would know. And she insists that they messed up. And he says she just doesn't want to fail, which is probably true. But at the same time, he's still he's using that as like a weapon. Yeah, he's using that like he got in and he feels special and he wants to think like it means something about him. That but he if she got gets in. in, it's just, oh, it's anybody can get in. That's right. what I guess in his that's, head. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, even though it's like so shitty. Yeah. She says that it's that's not it. And he says, you sure, Jules? Because you can do everything else. <gasps> Quentin. And then we see that Quentin is totally jealous of Julia's ability to fi- fix it. Uh, fuck fit in as a functional person in the normal world. He has been jealous of that from the start. 
That's why, like, he wasn't just depressed about magic. He's depressed. And, like, his brain is, his chemistry is different. It's fine. He still needs the meds, Cass. <laughs> so he says, it's really okay if it's not your thing. Damn, just, like, keep driving. It's like turning that knife, right? Yeah. And you know he's happy to have this all to himself instead of sharing it with her since he's just being so judgy, you know. She was being all judgy about the fillery books, and this is like his get back at like, her. Yeah, he's like getting back. Like, you go to parties and you have fun, and I have a thing now. Yeah. Yeah, man. She says, they cut off my life. I'm like, whoa, wait. That's a little bit much, Julia. Like, you, they didn't cut off your life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, the thing we, the thing I was reflecting back to on rewatching it is I was like, they're just talking about being unable to live the shitty lives we all live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he's like pushing her into it. He's like, well, your life is here. I'm like, damn, dismissive much, Quentin? My God. Oh, no. Quentin, what if you did get expelled? You were literally just like afraid of being expelled. What would you go back to? Right. Shoe on the other foot. Come on, man. <laughs> but he's not there yet. No. So after their conversation, Quentin leaves with Elliot and Margot, who are both drunk, of course. And Julia is alone in the bar's bathroom, crying. Oh, so I hate this scene. I, I hate, hate this scene. Suddenly, the buttons of her shirt begin falling off before her shirt lifts up around her head and basically pull, like ties her hands together with her shirt and pulls her across the room, tying her to the radiator. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not down with this. This something feels very rapey here, and yeah. I'm getting triggered by this rape stuff. Like, I don't, I don't it's, do it's rape very scenes. like you're like, uh, this is not gonna be good. So Julia sees the man from the bar, the one she told to jump off a cliff, and he like emerges from the shadows. He waves his hands to finish tying her up, and you're like, oh crap! And then we have a quick commercial break, and then we come back, and the guy's kneeling beside her, caressing her face with his fingers, and then licking his fingers. Why? Ew. I don't know what the purpose of that was, but I, unless maybe just to seem creepy. But uh, he says, how does it feel to know that I can do whatever I want to you? And I'm like, oh, I hate these situations. Please How make it stop. often is he doing that? So Julia is like, uh-uh. She suddenly releases herself in the radiator by using her like electric spark magic nice. to burn the shirt off of her hands. And then she's like, she throws her hands out and summons these like jets of like sparking fire it almost looks like propane yeah and from her fingertips and i'm like yeah now burn is abducting ass like <laughs> and the guy's impressed and then he's like does a little thing with his hands and it just dispels her flame her flames and she then go like we you know she basically accuses him of being a rapist and he's like no i would never i just need to see if i was right uh i don't buy uh, it mm, uh. i don't like it yeah. You don't say creepy shit like, I could do whatever I want to you. If you're just like testing somebody. I guess the only thing I can think of, he was trying to get a rise out of her in order for her to do something. Yeah. I mean, I can it. see it's like Fog yelling at. Um, do some goddamn magic. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same kind of prompt. Just to pop it out of them. Yeah. And which it helped actually because she got away from the sparkles and she just had like freaking flames shooting out of her fingertips. That's kind of awesome. But, you know, he says like. Do you think that the school is the only place so that you can track the, the gift of magic? <gasps> okay. I do love that because you're like, what? Creepy, rapey what? stranger? <laughs> and then he says, we've been watching you for a while now. And I'm like, oh, wait, back to creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Although Brick Bill said the same kind of thing. Yeah, I know. But this is one guy in a bathroom. <laughs> like, 
You know, it's not like a nice looking prestigious, like, okay, they have a system here, not just some guy watching. No. So she wants to know who's we, and I'm like, color us intrigued rival magic faction storyline incoming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So back at break bills, Quentin is studying in the library when he suddenly hears knocking on a door behind him. No one else seems to be reacting to it. So, but he walks over and opens it up and steps right into Fillory's forest again. Like, I want to find Fillory, damn it. Yeah, seems nice. It does. He finds Jane Chatwin again, who explains that people never truly decide to go to Fillory. It instead decides when it wants them to come. Creepy. And again, with the non-consent, what's going on? I know. <laughs> non-consent. She warns that he's still on the path he shouldn't be on, and he's going to kill you. She means being shitty to Julia. That's that's what ends yeah. up leading him down the wrong Get out path. Of the path. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, do you understand? And he says, no, I don't understand. And like, he doesn't even really fully finish the sentence where she's like, <laughs> stop talking, you child. I'm like, okay, I hate when characters in a book or a show or a movie ask a question that is clearly not rhetorical. <laughs> and the other person gives an answer that they don't like. They cut them off and speak to them as if they weren't actually supposed to answer. Yeah. That drives me nuts. Like, stop it. In fairness, he is a child. He And he acts like one, too. But, like, <laughs> but at the same time, like, he's talking to an actual child. <laughs> That's true. Anyway. I'm like, just stop fucking asking questions if you don't want the answers. Okay, people? Yeah. Just don't it. You know. So she says, even though he likes belonging at break bills, it's not the point. He won't be there for long. He tells her to shut up because it's a dream. And she's just a fictional English schoolgirl. And she says, you know, I'm not. She says, <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, damn. She says, break bills is a tool towards his destiny and that he should, quote, quit clinging and start questioning. I mean, I agree. I don't know what she's getting at yet, but yeah. Basically, she's telling, get out of your own fucking head. Start asking questions about magic and the world and what's going on. Not like, oh, why me or how? No, <laughs> not like that. Get Start getting serious about this, man. But, like, why do all these hero quest storylines all have to do with, like, ambiguous and mysterious paths they must take, even though the guy clearly knows all the answers? <laughs> and they're like, you have to, you know what I mean? Like, you have to learn this for yourself. Why? Just tell me. <laughs> okay. But here's a question. Why do you assume they're leading him on a hero's quest and not something dark? Well, it's all about him taking the right path and, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, getting the way, it's, beating the bad guy, you know, kind of thing. It's their opinion on what's good and bad. I guess that's mm. what I mean. Like, he's still just buying into exactly what he's being told. He's not questioning what's going on here. Right. I mean, I agree with that. And I think just as a viewer, you're supposed to be led to believe that there was this greater destiny for him because they've been showing, oh, has he had come out to school yet? Does he know enough? And all, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, so you're thinking that's like some kind of well, quest thing's going to yes, happen. Yes. Although we still don't know they're talking about him, Quentin. We've had that's hints, true, but we don't. It's just know. alluded to the entire it's alluded time. Alluded to, but like, what if they're trying to feed into our expectations? Right. Or just, yeah, fake us out and thinking, oh, it's Quentin. No, it's actually something Oh, else. Quentin's going to be the hero and he's getting on his quest now. It's Neville Longbottom. <laughs> <laughs> That's who we were talking about the entire time. <laughs> that is just a funny thing that got thrown in at the end. And you're like, oh, OK. okay. <laughs> that That's OK, I guess. You know, at least he grows up to be hot. Right. Anyway, he did, though. <laughs> So he then notices a glowing symbol appearing on a stone behind her. 
and he recognizes the symbol as what he just saw in Alice's book at the cafe that day. He walks up to it asking what it is. And so Jane Chatwin then takes his hand and like pushes it up to the symbol saying, find out, won't you? And he wakes up at his desk in the library with the symbol burned into his palm. Yeah, Quentin, find out. What is it? So he's like, Alice, I got to go talk to Alice. Right? Are you the Antichrist now? <laughs> Stigmata. So Quentin, with a bandaged hand, meets Alice and asks her about the symbol. He shows it to her. And she's like, oh, my God. And she brushes him off at first, but then he shows her the, the burned symbol. And she's like, oh, crap. She pulls him over. Not even that far from where they were just standing. Yeah, like, it's like they... a foot over. <laughs> it's just like, come here. Step. All right. Now let's talk. I didn't understand that, but whatever. It was a direction. <laughs> she asks him where he got it. And he says he'll tell her once she tells him what it is. And she says for him to meet her at the admin building at 10 p.m. and bring an Estonian to English dictionary with him. Yeah, don't do that. Like what? You don't know her. You don't know her. You don't know her that way. (laughs) So before she runs off, he asks again, what does it mean? And she says the symbol means, quote, contact the other side. I'm like, that can't be good. Like, it sounds like a setup if I ever heard one. Maybe I'd go to the dean and be like, hey, a weird thing happened in my dreams, and now there's a symbol on my hand. Do you know what it is rather than this random student I just met? (laughs) (laughs) Let me go talk to the girl who clearly doesn't like me or most other people here. Yeah, she doesn't (laughs) want anyone to talk to her. Let me approach her again. And not a professor. In her face. <laughs> not one of the many professors that must teach here. Who would probably know even more. But or you know my whatever. roommate who might know something. Mm-hmm. So Alice says they need to do a summoning. But no. first she, she needs a book that was removed from the library shelves two years ago and that the dean has it locked up in his private collection and it needs to be stolen. So Quentin says he doesn't want to get kicked out of school. And also that he really doesn't want to be the guy that gets killed in the first 10 minutes of a movie because he's like, you know what? Let's take out the Ouija board. What could possibly go wrong? Good instincts, Quentin. Good instincts. And it's good to know that he's familiar with the possibility that his life might be a movie or a TV show. (laughs) Right. He realizes there is maybe a hint that I could be expendable in this story. Exactly. And he's trying to avoid that, which is fair. But also, again, teachers... You're going to just do a summoning with this random girl? It's a safe space. Ask an adult. <laughs> go, to, go to an adult. You just learned that magic exists and you're already going to summon something from the other side? Yeah, that does make sense. Like, And Alice is like, you know he knows nothing. He's a complete novice. Like, Right, Quentin. Alice even. Like, come on, Alice. You're smarter than this. <laughs> we I know agree. you're smarter than this. I agree. What is going on? Maybe she's not smarter than this. And that's where we find out why she's doing these things. So. <laughs> So Alice seems eager to do this now. Didn't take much, but a weird symbol to entice her, of course, huh? Hmm, something more. She's so determined that she bribes him with straight A's and course help, whatever he needs. She says, for some reason, you're involved with this, so be involved. Uh, Quentin, start asking questions. I want to know what this is that she's talking about. Right, and if she wants it this badly, you got to ask something. This yeah, is not- There's more negative. to it than yeah. what she's letting on. So in a dorm room, hoop earring girl and scarf guy are studying. Still not saying their names until the show says them. Another dorm room has music playing loudly and it's annoying him. She tries to quiz him on like hand placements or whatever, and he doesn't answer. Instead, he starts to get dressed to leave. She asks him to stop being a douche and tell her what's up. 
He says he's hearing voices and she calls him psychic, but he says he hates that word. So she corrects it to mind slut. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. I think that's a great word for telepathic people. (laughs) And like, I started thinking, I was like, well, Sookie Stackhouse was an involuntarily mind slut. She didn't mean to. That really fits her though. It really does. Really slutty about the telepathy. Yeah. Yeah. Telepathy. Um, also, yeah. could we just say how refreshing it is that these two are conversing like human adults instead of Quentin and Alice, who are just like dancing around each other in this weird way? Yeah, but they clearly <laughs> both have stuff going on. Obviously, they're oh, both kind totally. Of, they're both kind of like I don't want. I want to say jaded or they're not I don't know. too attached. They're not as attached to this stuff as Quentin is. Like I feel like they're right. skeptical. Right, but there's there's clearly something going on with both of them. Yeah. They both kind of have these, this attitude about them. Anyway, finally, she says his name. Come on, Penny. You're not the first I've met, and you're obviously not the first to get into my pants. I'm like, you're painting yourself to be a real classy girl. I mean, yeah, you don't. That's not a brag. <laughs> that's, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't brag that. I wouldn't say that. But, uh, no. You know, I don't think it looks good on guys or girls to, to bag nobody about your conquest. And nobody wants to be like, yeah, you're one of many. yeah what thanks i feel special he says he needs to go somewhere and she's like well i'm obviously coming with you why obviously obviously i mean because she's like stuck doing my glue now apparently i don't know so quentin and alice meet in a classroom collecting materials and reading references for the summoning they're gonna do he hands her the book with the symbol on it. And I'm like, how did he get this? Show us how that book heist you said you were going to pull. Yeah, that's an important part of this. And they didn't show it at all. It's just they like, have the book now. I'm like, no. And we know Quentin. He's not like a stealthy spy. Come on. Did she go get it? Did he go get it? Did they get it together? Was there like, you distract the dean while I sneak into his office? That kind of right. thing. Like, what happened? I want to know. I want to see that. But they didn't do it. They're cowards. But. So Quentin notices the symbol on his hand is now gone. He's like, well, that makes me less nervous. And she tells him, I hate this. Nut up, will you? There's su- there's no such thing as safe magic. Might as well take a risk. Shut up, Alice. I don't like it. I don't like that. Nut up. Like, that's. There's no reason to make this gendered. Like, All right. What? It's like, you yeah. don't have the balls. It was like, uh, I'm a woman. Of course, I don't have the balls. Like, also, yeah, let's not make it. It's just such a reductive comment. Yeah, and it's just like, and it's kind of crass for her. I agree. It doesn't seem with what we've seen of her so far. Yeah, but being maybe, so reserved and demure, and all of a sudden she's like, "Nut up, will you?" Like, what the fuck did that come from? I mean, not every shy person is like a happy gem waiting to be uncovered. Right. I agree with that. But man, <laughs> pick a personality, Alice. Like, come on. <laughs> maybe she's mean. <laughs> and maybe she's been masking that the whole time. Maybe she's smart and mean because that's totally a personality type. Mm-hmm. So reading a book, Quentin says they need a name for who they're trying to contact. And Alice says they're trying to contact her brother, Charlie, who died. Tell me more before I do this, Alice. I don't know. When you said tell me more, I just started going right into Greece. I'm like, like, does he tell have a car? More. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Can you conjure your brother? Tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. Or will it be another? You know, that kind of thing. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, yes, it'd be nice to say hi. And he wants to know how Charlie died. And she says, horribly, I assume, since no one will tell me what happened. Wow, Alice, there's a lot of puzzle pieces that I'm not seeing here. (laughs) 
She says she only knows that it happened at Break Bills five years ago. And that's why she's at Break Bills, not because she loves magic so much. She wants answers. And I can't seem to blame her for that. Yeah. I mean, that's a great subplot. Yeah. Is that's like- a good like, oh, OK, I would like to see more backstory on you now. You know mm-hmm. why? What's going on here? She says they need to concentrate so they can get it done exactly at midnight. She then realizes they don't have all they need for the ritual. She says we can do this, but we can't do this. Just as Penny and Hoop Earring Girl walk in. She says, we were sent here to help these losers. That's what Hoop Earring Girl says. And Alice is curious about who sent them. And Penny says, no one. He thinks they need extra hands. He keeps saying yes and yes, yes, while he's looking at Quentin. And we quickly learn that he can hear Quentin's thoughts saying, everything you think is boring and I replace it with dubstep. And Quentin just looks at him and goes, what's dubstep? (laughs) So Alice interrupts and says, that's right. We need four magical adepts. She says it's a perfect timing and invites them to sit in. Alice, you are. I don't know if we should all be trusting Alice. Mm -mm. Next, we see an aerial shot of their spell in motion. A bowl filled with dark stuff. It kind of looks like berries. I don't know. It's it's probably blood, but um, it's kind of blowing small bubbles and whatnot. It's kind of creepy before the clock reaches midnight. The spell is complete and they look around the room and then at the mirror next to them, expecting some kind of result, but nothing happens. So hoop earring girl says she's hungry and Penny helps her up as he says, let us know if shit gets exciting and they leave. Alice just sits in silent disappointment, staring forward as Quentin starts to clean everything up. And then after they leave, Alice is the last out. The mirror, she passes in as she leaves, mm-hmm. shows a mysterious fog, like someone breathed fog onto it and then drew a smiley face afterwards. Oh, no. Did they see it? No. <gasps> they did not see it. That's ominous. Who did they call? Not the Ghostbusters, that's for sure. That's for sure. Another commercial break, and we're back to find Julia and the guy from the bar are now in a rundown area in New York. He takes her to some random warehouse. He advises Julia on the rules. Don't demand, ask. Safety first, be patient, nobody levels up in a day, and don't leave your purse lying around. All right, great. So other magical people just steal normal stuff too? Like, <laughs> like you can't trust anybody at all? Perfect group to be involved with, Julia. I mean, I don't know if you can trust the break bills crowd either. So maybe don't trust people with magic. Maybe just don't bring a purse. (laughs) Also, I think Quentin should have gotten those rules too. Yes. (laughs) Safety first. Be patient. Don't demand. Ask. Ask. Mm -hmm. Just ask. Yeah. Don't accuse. Ask. How's that? (laughs) He goes to a locked door, bangs on it, and rolls up his sleeve and shows like a star with a keyhole tattooed on his forearm to a person behind the door. And the door opens and they go in. It's a bit too sketchy for my taste. But I guess, I mean, if you look at magic as like a drug and like an addict or something like that, or someone really seeking it out, they would probably go to dangerous links to get it. Like you would with a drug, a like crack or heroin or something. They'd probably go to the sketchy area because they want that heroin. They're going to get it where they're going to get it. Right. So I guess that's kind of like what it is to Julie at this point. Like she really wants it. So is in that metaphor, is Quentin essentially mainlining morphine? Basically. 
if that if she's like looking for heroin on the street, like he's getting he's it. got the the legal stuff, he's even got, though it might not yeah. be good for you anyway. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. He got the prescription kind, and she got the the back alley kind. Exactly. So now, in a break, Bill's classroom, a professor, the one who mind wiped Julia, is lecturing on alloys. It's like magical chemistry class, in a way. Eh. And Quentin is doing his coin spinny trick on his desk. He waves his hand over it and it stops mid spin and is still standing like, oh, you're picking up some stuff. You're already learning. Good for you. And the class seems boring for sure as Q looks over to Alice, who's taking notes while the professor speaks German. I don't it, was, it kind of felt really aggressively German all of a sudden. It's like, what the hell? You know, then you see Penny and Hoop Earring Girl are all cute, kind of like talking to each other, like a cute little couple in the back. However, at exactly noon, the clock stops. Outside, we see Dean Fogg and he looks at his watch and the clock is stopped on his watch as well. And he dashes off in a panic. Back in the classroom, Everyone is suddenly magically paralyzed, all but their eyes. And they're looking around like, what's going on? It's panic. Behind them, out of the mirror, steps a man in a gray suit with a cloud of moths around him, also obscuring his face. He walks around the room, even doing a little light foot shuffle as if he was dancing, like he's giddy. He, with his six-fingered hand, gestures and apparently kills the professor. I looked, I was like, is that six fingers? Yep, yeah. and he just kind of does this little hand movement, and then the professor just drops to the floor dead. Does he have extra magic because of the finger? I don't know. In the land of hand-placed magic, the man with 12 fingers. 12 fingers? What? Anyway. I didn't see the other hand. I know he has six on one. <laughs> <laughs> this did sound like, sentence, like a trailer in the land of hand-placed ma- <laughs> magic. Hand-placed magic. A man with say- twelve fingers. Is king. Is king. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he kills the professor, and that's where Dean Fogg runs in and like does a quick spell at the man and thrusts him backwards onto the desk. Like his battle magic, right? Mm-hmm. The man stands up and throws up his hands, and the dean struggles, but he's no match as his arms are like all of a sudden held up above his head. He can't do anything. And he's frozen, and his hands are all distorted looking now and Oh, it's the, so, oh, it's, yeah. it's brutal. So the man walks over right up to the dean's face and just pulls out his eyes, <laughs> muffling his scream as he does it. He then places the eyes down on a student desk and with the blood draws a smile underneath him. Like, and I'm guessing it's to signify, yes, the same person who did the fog mirror smiley uh-huh. face before. This is the horror part. This, this is, is where the horror comes horror in. part. I mean, the eyeballs pulled right out. Ugh. Ugh. He then walks up to Dean Fogg and bites into his shoulder or his neck or something. I don't know. Before dropping the Dean to the floor. Could you imagine seeing all this and being paralyzed and unable to do anything? Scariest moments of your life. That freaks me out to no end, not being able to move. Yeah. And I've had sleep paralysis. That freaked me out. Uh, It's not fun. So Quentin is somehow, somehow able to drop the coin in his hand, causing the man to look his way. He walks slowly in front of the frozen Quentin and says, Quentin Coldwater, there you are, before Ah! reaching out towards Quentin. End of episode. Boom. Ah! What happens to Quentin? What? Who is the person? (laughs) How do they know his name? 
Why does he have moths all over his face? Oh my god, the moths where his face should be is so scary. You could like at certain times you're like, did I see his face? No, I didn't see his face. No, I I did, like but... yeah, you're like, is there a face or is it you see, like a cloud of moth face because the moth moves, but you don't see the yeah. full face. You're like, what am I looking at? He's like embroiled in moths at all times. So uh, we're assuming that this is the beast, obviously, that has been referenced already, who wants to come after Quentin. So obviously, you know, and he's guy, found him. That he was found easy. him. Was it everything that you remembered, Arlene? It was more than I remembered, actually. A lot happened a in that way episode. Way more than I remembered. <laughs> I didn't remember all that happening in the first I didn't episode. Either. I thought it was much simpler and they spent more time on a lot of the scenes. But I forgot a lot of the connecting pieces. Yeah. Like the dreams. And they spread out the rest of like it's based on the first book with like other parts of other books thrown in as well. Like Which mixed I in. love. I, think I do love like it. They way. made it a lot better that way. They made it a lot easier for us to understand because even from this episode, you're like, there are so many things that were mentioned. There are so many possible stories. You have mm-hmm. no idea what's going on. I don't know. I just think that um, I don't know if I'd want magic. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know. I'm I feel still... like that's that's what this pilot wanted us to think. So that's good. Like, I really think it wanted Dude, us to be you, like, let's see what happens with this magic. Yeah. And if. If you did get your Hogwarts letter, but you're 22 and you know more about the world, would you take it? Probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I I actually I posed a similar question on the, the episode I did recently about the vampire question. If you had the option to become a vampire, but you know what it entails, would you take it? Oh, yeah, I totally. Hands down. Would be I would vampire. too. I would too. But like you're it's it's. You're you're breaking away from you get to a live a lot longer, which I mean, yeah, you're going to lose people throughout the. But you'll get used to that. That's something that's just be a part of your life. You know what I mean? Death is a part of being a vampire. It's yeah. What it is. And then, you know, but you also get like special powers, most likely. I mean, they vary from different vampire stories, yeah, but they're usually it's very similar. You get something. And uh, super speed and and glamouring Strength, or mind control yeah. or whatever. You get stuff like that all the time. But I mean, the sucky part is you have to most of the time you're going to kill somebody unless you have like a true blood type drink or a willing person to like, Hey, here's a vein. Let me just pour some in the glass for you. Or you work at the blood bank and you're like a Dexter. Oh, we should make that show. <laughs> Vampire Dexter. Vampire Dexter. Dexter law. No, anyway. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. It's bad. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I, I feel like I would accept it while going, this is probably going to end up with you dying. You know, yeah. like you'd go into it and you'd be like, I'm not 11. I know there's a lot of dark shit that could come with this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You're a little bit more, I want to say, experienced or just aware of the world. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, after I've had some thought, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm. although, again, it would be great if every 10 years they were like, you still want to stay in here? You'd be like. I don't know. Maybe I could go back to forgetting about magic now. Like, maybe I've had my fill. Yeah, go ahead and erase my memory. I'm good. <laughs> like, but say that like I was doing this this whole time, you know? <laughs> like Men in Black, if you yeah. could just, like, go back. Flashy thing, whatever you call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think, audience? Was it a good rewatch for you? Did you miss something the first time around? Or was it your first time viewing? We would love to hear your reactions. That'd be awesome. Would you become a magician if given the, you know, uh, the opportunity to uh, attend break bills? 
or hell, especially, if you become a vampire, when you become a vampire, let us I know. love that question. Um, we love that. Especially knowing that like the third year class disappeared and so did Alice's brother. What happens to people at break bills? What happens to people at break bills? That's a big question. It really is. Because a lot happens to people at break bills. <laughs> a whole class disappeared. <laughs> a brother got mysteriously killed and no one tells who. What I happened. really want to know where that class is. Oh, yeah. And then today somebody came in from an alternate universe and like massacred our Dean. <laughs> Pulled his eyes out right in front of us. Like, oh, my God. So yeah, let's just yeah. keep attending this school. Like. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that school would be shut down fast <laughs> in in the real world, yes. Yeah, what's so funny is, like, Quentin didn't ask anything about, like, how legit they are in the magic world, even. He's just like, oh, yeah, I'm fully in, whatever, whatever you have to say. And it's like- I know, I see some people doing some stuff. I'm, I'm doing this. Right, and it's like, are there other magic schools? Like, could you have gotten into other ones? Kind of like, th- like I'm, I hate to go in the Harry Potter thing, but in Harry Potter universe, there were uh, magic schools all over the sure. world. So. so like if, yeah, Quentin is so uncurious about everything. <laughs> He's just more about like, how can I do more things like this? That's all, that's all he cares about. He doesn't like want to ask questions. He just, he yeah, just he's wants not, like, the magnificent seeking, already. He's not seeking knowledge. Yeah. He just wants to be like there whatever there is yeah yeah he wants to be that yeah well which like very human at the same time impossible so that's a fun challenge for him Mm -hmm. and the fact (laughs) that he made it through undergraduate school i don't buy it doesn't make sense but i don't buy it i don't either do you buy audience let us know where did he go to undergrad (laughs) yes yes please reach out to us Oraline is at Spooky Oraline on Instagram, and you're still on Twitter, right? Yep. Unfortunately, okay. I'm still on Twitter. <laughs> so yeah, at Spooky Oraline. The Rewatch Recap was brought to you by me, Dustin Holden. You can find the show on Instagram at The Rewatch Recap, or you can find me on TikTok at Dustin underscore Holden. Find me there for my weird-ass sense of humor, amongst other silly things related to my other show, Dustin Can Read and Watch. Speaking of which, my email is the same as the other show. You can reach me at DustinCanReadPod at gmail.com. We are going to try to continue some TikTok parodies. Uh, if you think you have some good ideas, please be sure to reach out to us. Let us know. We're already, you know, brainstorming, I'm sure. But and we're going to do this every week, hopefully, and we'll see what we can do. Um, <laughs> we hope to hear from you and look forward for you just joining us again next week for an all new recap for the second episode of the magicians entitled the source of magic. Hmm. Yes. Some information. Finally. Maybe something. Yes. Maybe until then stay magical. Everyone. Bye. Bye.